well on accord that Carter Hutton's probably gone. Eric Nystrom, if they can get out of his deal, is gone. When you have Eric Nystrom and you didn't play him at all during the playoffs, or you played him for one game in the playoffs, yeah, that, that kind of speaks volumes to kind of what the DJ Black Hole. Yep, pretty much. So before we even address the other guys here, let's go ahead and see if we can fill out like kind of what do we got, what our ideas for the roster next year. Ryan Johansson, obviously number one center. Uh, if say if you were going to be asked to come up with Predators lines for the start next year at training camp, uh, coaches Link and Darty, who would you put around Johansson as your top line? I I would probably try out Johansson with Neil and Wilson first. Mm. Mm. I think the combination of Neil and Wilson really seemed to work. Uh, now Wilson's Wilson's uh, uh, the type of player that can be moved around. I think uh, obviously Johansson and Neil are top line players. If if Wilson doesn't work out there, I think you could go back to uh, a Yarncrock or um, or Arvidsson since that that kind of worked. But I think there was too much. We saw too much chemistry between those to to not try it. Yeah, uh, I mean that's. Th- what what Alice just said is sort of like, hey, you want a slice of pepperoni pizza? I'm like, yes, it's yeah. exactly what it I want incredible. at all I mean, times. Why would what I say time no of the day is doesn't yeah, it could doesn't be midnight. Matter. I don't even care where whatever. it's from. Mm. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, honestly, like, <laughs> hey, dude, I just went to Little Caesars. I got a couple. Yeah, oh, sure. yeah, sure, of course. That, that's actually like a staple of like every high school football press box I've ever been in. Like Little Caesars pizza is big since the five dollar revolution came through with them. Yeah, but you know what else you can get for five dollars? What's that? Carved turkey and bacon sandwich at Subway. <laughs> and it's the bread just really crispy. And, okay, uh, Six dollars now. Welcome in to another season of the show that uh, just somehow finds a way to keep going and reinventing itself. And we're almost like Spinal Tap where we have like the, there's like your, your, your standard members and you have like the drummer that just keeps getting killed off. Except now, Link, we've replaced the one drummer with, with two drummers. So we have to kill twice as many people now? We have to kill twice as many people now. This is the Predcast brought to you by OnTheForeCheck.com, Lions on Internet Marketing Solutions. He's Christopher Link. He's Alex Doherty. And she is Maria. Hi. Hi, everybody. My name is Maria. Her name is Maria. So we have to ask you the standard battery of questions. Uh, Number one, do you have a Premier League team that you follow? I've been to one soccer game. Who was it? The U.S. Women's National Team. They beat France, won nothing in extra time, and that is all I know. As a great way to excuse to day drink, uh, we do watch the Premier League pretty heavily. Do you have a team that you follow, could follow, or do you just... No, I'm big into day drinking, as, as a Nashville person would be. But, but other than that, no. You also follow Atlanta sports. Uh, you're a big Braves fan. Uh, you have a spa, soft spot in your heart for the Hawks. Um, is there anything else we can make fun of you for? I watch the Falcons sometimes, and they also suck. At least they have mm. hope. Um, We're getting an MLS team, which means I guess I have to care about soccer now. Yeah, but they're kind of they're they're already like a scumbag organization, so. They're going to fit right in. Atlanta. How are they already a scumbag organization? Uh, they, they haven't I mean, even played yet. Well, but the organization, like the management, the people who are, who are behind it is, are is kind it not, of... It's not an expansion? It's an expansion team. 
yeah, it's an expansion team, but it's not like a. It's not like a. It, essentially, they just have been bullying other people in the league and, uh, and generally just being. The only rude thing I saw it. that was weird about them is that they were they had trouble with Minnesota United, which is an established club. Yeah, that's just that's kind of the 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 most notable thing is they forced like somehow convinced the MLS that only they could be united, ignoring the fact there's other teams in the MLS called United already. Yeah. Uh, so apparently, it doesn't apply to DC United, but it does apply to. Minnesota, what is it, Minnesota FC United or whatever Minnesota United FC, yeah, which has yeah. a really cool logo with the loon and everything. They've been, they've been around for years, yeah. and they played games. Yeah, whereas Atlanta United FC. But anything that involves Atlanta Silverbacks and soccer is always, and like the, whatever they're called, the ultras or whatever they are in Atlanta, they're all, it's always weird. Hmm. Okay. I mean, I, this is all foreign to me. I mean, as far as American right. soccer supporting culture. It's, it's the MLS, everything's shady. Everything shading has a salary cap, right? <laughs> a salary cap, yeah. Unless you're important enough, unless you're LA, and then there's no salary cap. <sighs> Sounds like a wonderful sport. I can't wait for it to take over and all the kids to start playing soccer instead. That happened um, a decade ago, Dan. So let's. Um, well, I, I started playing soccer when I was five. Um, over what, a decade ago, let's, fine. Let's start. Uh, let's start with this. So, when the PK trade happened, I was away from my cell phone. I was in a meeting with uh, my department director, a couple of other, you know, big shots in my company. And about 10 minutes into the meeting, after I gave my part of the uh, the update, uh, he just says, hey, you want to go back to your desk? Something big happened. And that's how I found out about it. I thought that our account had been hacked. Um, I saw where Mark was sending me a bunch of text and said, hey, I got a post ready to go on the trade. And I fell back because I didn't respond to him in time. Um, where were you when the Weber for PK Subban trade happened? I was in the uh, Ronald Reagan Airport in Washington DC uh which is an interesting place to be it's very it's kind of like a like a a holy site for predators fans as far as where our best players come, seem to come from uh, which is the capitals of course uh so i was just in this super super crowded airport and just was reading that like i actually saw the larson hall trade of course cuz that came out first i was like oh what a stupid trade. I can't believe like people in, in, in New Jersey must be you know over the moon about this. It really changes the whole makeup of the team. Uh, you know, it fixes one of their big scoring issues. And then I start seeing like the PK Weber stuff. And I'm like, this is weird. What? I mean, this is somebody like I was checking the names of the account to see if maybe it was like, Oh, they're they're Instead of an I, it's like a lowercase L or to made to look like an I and trying to make sure it's very, and then all of a sudden when it clicked that this was actually a limited trade, I'm in this crowded airport and I'm just like standing up and cursing under my breath and people are just staring at me. <laughs> and so I, I'm like, sorry. And I just sit back down and, and I'm going through and all these tweets and I just, I keep standing up and sitting down and like walking in circles <laughs> and everyone in the airport's like, what is wrong with this guy? And I'm looking for anyone because this I'm waiting for a flight to Nashville. So I'm looking for anybody wearing anything that's Predators gear just so I can, I can not seem like the crazy person. Yeah. Just raving in the middle of the airport. There was no one going to Nashville wearing Predators gear. No one else seemed to know but me. So this sounds like just an average Tuesday for you. I am a very collected person. Oh, you know. okay. All right. Well, that sounds good. I was at home. Uh, I was at home, and I had just gotten, uh, I'd just gotten home, and a friend of mine who was still at work just sends me this text and is like, uh, what do you think about this trade? And I assumed he was talking about Hall Larson. So I just... <laughs> I just started talking about that, and I said, um, oh, I, I don't know. I mean, it seems kind of odd, this Edmonton doing this, and why, why would they? I mean, there's no real excuse to trade Taylor Hall. And he's like, you need to check your Twitter. <laughs> and I was like, oh. <laughs> and then that's how I discovered it. And 
just along with everyone else, just utter shock, really. Mm-hmm. I was actually I was actually at work. Um, one of my friends is an Oilers fan, and so about ten minutes before the trade happened, uh, Taylor Hall got traded, and so I had gotten her from my desk to sort of you know text back and forth with her and see how she was doing about that, and then it comes across that the Weber got traded. And I, I assumed everyone had been hacked. Mm-hmm. And I actually wound up, just like Link, I basically went outside the building, just walked in circles for 20 minutes. Like, I had no idea. Yeah, I, I think Mark uh, captured it best. When he was in the official release post that he put out, it was, uh, I thought Nick Kiprios had been hacked. And that was the general reaction that we all had. Um, what do you guys think about the media reaction so far? So everyone is with the exception of ESPN is just really glad handing the predators, you know, good job with this, you know, they got rid of a bad contract, but at the same time, you know, there's going to be an adjustment period with this because Weber plays a completely different style that PK Subban did. Just your initial reaction uh, to the media reaction as, uh, is there anything that stood out as far as uh, the stuff that you've read about this trade? I, I think it was a very typical, like the reaction is exactly what I've expected the reaction to be. Um, I, I when it has all the things, all the debates, it's like, yeah, this seems like the way the media react to something like this because it was a, you know, it, it, it depending on where you fall in the spectrum of how you evaluate hockey and, and cover hockey, it either is a absurdly one-sided trade that the Predators won or it's a absurdly one-sided trade that the Canadians won and then there's sort of like a middle where it's like, oh, that's a good hockey trade that both teams kind of get more of what they want. Uh, and you just got the whole gamut. Of responses, I, I think the most interesting thing that's come out of this has been that it's com- it like took the stats community and just completely made them lose their minds <laughs> for two weeks as they proceeded to to go back and forth arguing. You know, it's like, oh well, clearly PK's in every way better, and other people being like, no, that's an in- it's an incorrect application of stats, and other people making charts to show that like you can have like different variations of good, and and it just it kind of it, it did a lot of good, I think, to get people some brains dislodged about the application of the statistics. And, and that's always been, that's kind of been one of my topics is we, we need a little bit less about just making numbers work and a little bit more about how we're actually using them to analyze things in sort of a larger narrative. And I, I think that I want to say that the Weber Subban trade sort of kicked started a lot of that conversation to a much higher gear than it was before. I, I agree with that. Uh, I think this is the most that I've heard the, at least Nashville media, really talk about the Predators in the summertime. I mean, there's not a lot of time. I mean, they're in their franchise history, there's not a lot of folks on the Predators in the summer. Uh, I'm talking about radio, newspaper, you know, any kind of media coverage, really. Uh, from, my, from my perspective, my personal friends that, you know, follow the Predators only a little bit. Um, it kind of confused them, not just stats. They don't know the stats quite like a lot of people do, but they're more like, so they they traded a, a bad contract, and but they're spending more money now, right? But Weber was like a franchise player, but this guy's bet, like they're blow, their minds are blown <laughs> and they don't really know how to react to it. And uh, just the idea that, like, there's this whole other hockey world out there where Canada is involved and, and these other teams have these better players. And it's like, well, I thought we had a pretty good team. But, you know, it, it, I think for the most part, locally, a lot of people don't quite get it. Um, and, and to be honest, do we? I mean, we don't know exactly what's going to happen. No, I was actually at the zoo yesterday just sort of sitting around the big common area, and I heard some people talking. And they said, well, I heard we traded Weber, the captain, but we got another Weber, and he's supposed to be better. So I, I had to get up and walk away. Oh, he away. is Swiss. Oh, the other Weber is Swiss, and so, Swiss is better. Yeah, he's obviously just Always. already superior. Um, 
as far as the media goes, it seems it's just a, a lot of rehashing of the debates we've already been having, especially where, where the Norris is concerned. Um, we have a lot of the, uh, the stats community being like, I have this chart. And I'm really interested to see in the fall, because, I mean, we have our own opinions here about how good Weber is and stats and stuff. But I'm really interested in the fall to see the people who merely have charts actually watch him and see the things that he is good at that maybe not, doesn't necessarily show up in the stat sheet mm-hmm. to sort of see what their uh, response is then. I'm not really sure if they will be able to get past their opinions now, to, you know, to change their opinion then. But I'll be interested to see if that, if that happens. I'm interested to see what, uh, what the Montreal reaction is going to be regarding his skating ability. Because that's the biggest uh, deficiency that we've seen, or the biggest decline we've seen over the last three or four years, is how much Weber defers to Yossi. You've pointed this out multiple times that since he's been put with Roman Yossi each year, he's depending on Yossi more and more to exit the zone. Where literally, I give the puck to Roman at this. I mean, we saw it in the playoffs, especially. So, so what Weber needs to do and what he should be doing is just endlessly watching tape of Chris Pronger. And just being like, okay, how can I spend the next half of my career, whatever you want to say time-wise, being more like, or, or positioning and skating more like Chris Pronger? Because the reason Pronger lasted so long and the league was so effective, no matter what situation you put him in, is because he was always in the exact right spot and he never wasted energy. Everything he did was very calculated, very precise. And so if Weber can can learn a lot of that and, and, and apply it, then he's that's going to go a long way to making up for any sort of loss of, of agility or speed. Let's put a hold on the uh, on the Weber for Subban bit because we got a lot more to get to regarding the uh, regarding free agency contracts. Let's circle all the way back to uh, first off. Are you guys happy with the uh, with the Stanley Cup final? It's been that long since we recorded a show, oh, so uh, it was uh, it was you know fine. I, I yeah. Mean, I was, it, was, it was not that exciting. Is, it, is it, did anyone else feel that way? I didn't. Wasn't. It felt like it was a bit of a letdown. Yeah, uh, I, I have a close friend, not a close friend, a, a former coworker that is a big Penguins fan, and he was thrilled. But I guess I didn't really care. I mean, Hornquist lifted the cup. I mean, that yeah, was fun. But that, was, that cool. was about it. Sure. Yeah, I had to literally think and remember who won the cup this year. <laughs> I mean, obviously seeing Phil Kelso win, uh, raise the cup was great, Hornquist, but that's about as much as I care. Yeah, it didn't really feel. I don't know. I, I mean, compared to, and this sounds like I'm a bad hockey fan, but compared to, to the drama that was going on, on the NBA side, the NHL just seemed like small time. That's true. It did kind of, it was overshadowed. Yeah. The, the NBA overshadowing the NHL. No, no, could, could never, never happen. happen. No, not, and this is America. I, I actually tried. I, I tried to watch the NBA final, the series, and I could make it through about the first period, first quarter. First yeah. Quarter? First, quarter. first quarter. And then I was just like, eh, yeah, you just watch the last quarter. But isn't that? But I. But that's what I tried to do originally. Yeah. And then I was like, wait, when does the game end? And that's such a like a stu- it's so stupid to say because everyone makes fun of the NBA for dragging off in the in like the end of the game. But it it's for someone who's not like a, a real basketball fan, that's true. I mean, like I just lose all interest because it's just so such a slog. Think of the NBA as like a for every single game and for every season, it's the same way. If think of it like a primetime drama to where like the first. Two or three episodes, you know, you're establishing characters. It's like two boxers walking around the ring looking at each other. And then they slowly start getting into, like, the meat and potatoes of the actual story. And then by, like, and then, you know, so if it's like a 10-episode season, by episode eight or nine, you've established your narratives. You're building towards a climax. Episode nine, you have, like, your great big battle. And episode 10 is usually just kind of like a parade at the end of it. (laughs) I would, would, from what you've described, I'm not a big fan of primetime dramas. So, again, that... It's kind of like the NBA, but I would watch a primetime drama if it didn't involve boxers making mashed potatoes. 
because that's what you just described to me, and I think that's fantastic. I'm pretty mm. sure like Evander Holyfield and Lennox Lewis could make like an awesome cooking show. I would. I show. mean, it's just I would watch the hell out of that. It's like it's like you know, kind of a gritty sort of drama, and it's but it, but it's actually like boxing guys who are trying to become boxers, but they have to make their money as chefs. Yeah, it's like short order cooks, yeah. Uh, it's like just, some it of my kind like, of restaurants. It sounds like yeah. a great pre- uh, premise. I'd say the reason this particular Stanley Cup ending was was disappointing was because I, it, because. It felt like a regular season NBA game, unwatchable, and you knew who was going to win in the end. I mean, one team was super, vastly superior. So. Here's here's a we're going to compare and contrast the two most like important or two most memorable moments from this season. Number one, Stanley Cup Final. That's always going to be memorable. But John Scott winning the All Star Game MVP. There are two. Here's the two contrasts here. The best redemption story they could have had out of the Stanley Cup Final: Phil Kessel winning the Conn Smythe. Mm guy who was you know made fun of you know he's fat he's you know not really a team player he's a loser he doesn't show up in big games blah 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 all that narrative got completely dispelled so he didn't win con smythe why crosby crosby had an okay see an okay series an okay playoffs for his own standards mm-hmm. he wasn't kessel good right yeah but see it's that's this we, is the nhl this is hockey and this is a trophy that people vote on which immediately means that it, it drastically decreased the chances of being going to the person who actually deserves it. But we would still be talking. We would at least remembered. We at least may have had more of a positive memory about the cup final. I'm not saying that Kessel should have won it just purely based on narrative, but he had the numbers to back it up. It also would have been fun to li- watch him lift a trophy covered in maple leaves. Oh yeah. A couple of awesome. douse it in like Aunt Jemima syrup and try to eat it or something. <laughs> it's actually, yeah. And the fact that it is like the picture of maple leaf gardens on it, that would have been great. Yeah. No, I think Crosby ultimately deserved to win the Consumite, I think, over the entire playoffs. He deserved it more than Phil Kessel did. But the final vote was separated by three votes. So That makes me feel a little bit better, but you know, not a ton better. Hmm. Uh, NHL draft, not a huge surprise. Uh, Austin Matthews goes number one. Uh, the Oilers uh, did some... Was it the Oilers or the Blue... No, it was the Blue Jackets who did the stupid thing and passed over Jesse Pugliarvi mm, and right. instead went with Pierre-Luc Dubois because uh, he plays center more because somehow Columbus has avoided center now. They needed a center and they drafted a player who was not a center. Who played center for a short bit, but yeah, you're right. He was not a, by definition, a center. So good on you, Columbus. Uh, Nashville takes Dante Fabro, the guy that we had in our mock draft, the guy that sounded like he was the most amped up to even come to Nashville. Mm -hmm. Um, And he's going to play college hockey, which shows that Nashville isn't going to hold a grudge against all of college hockey now. Well, I, the thing with I mean, the thing with college players, and I don't even know if we're going to bother talking about VZ at all today, um, because my stance on him has not changed. If you if, if you do not find success in the NCAA until you are a junior overage player is when your breakout season is, you're probably not going to be a huge impact NHL player. Because most of the really high-end college guys leave in their sophomore year leave by the end of the sophomore year because that's when they're ready to make the jump. They're getting into their 20s. I mean, that's when they want to be in the NHL. Um, they can be immediate contributors. They don't have to sit in the age, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I think with a guy like Fabro, you expect him to be NHL ready in a couple years. You don't expect him to be called to, to be NHL ready in three to four years like VZ. Um, and we don't even know VZ's NHL ready. No, we don't, so, we don't know for sure. No, we've had a bunch of people tell us he's ready, but no. Don't know. Uh, smart people have said that VZ is going to be like his, his sort of ceiling is probably third line forward, maybe second line. I could see him being like a Kevin Hayes type. So a third Ooh. line forward. 
yeah, third line, second line, forward in a pinch. <laughs> you know, maybe could play a you know top line in the playoffs when you're trying to change things up. I uh, thought it. I mean, I I was a big fan of our draft. I mean, I I think that uh, the Predators drafted what the strength of the of the draft pool was, and that's defensemen. Oh, so I think yeah, I think they did great. And I mean, there's so many. This has been talked about endlessly, but just the, the defensive depth in Milwaukee was so lacking. Uh, and and we had conversations even last year in the show about who's what's the succession now. I mean, granted, the top four in Nashville are you know an average age of probably what mid twenties. Subban's the oldest one, twenty yeah. six. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like it's such a young young group that you're not too worried as long as you can keep paying them. But uh-huh. it's nice to have a, a a pipeline for the future and for defense. I I think Fabro is probably at least two years away, but I. I would not be shocked if he's in the in the in, on in a Predators jersey in three years. Yeah, and unlike VZ, who's who stayed throughout college, he actually said, you know, if he's ready in like a year or two years, he'd be ready to come over. So, yeah. Well, he's also a guy from Western. He's also a guy from Western Canada. He didn't grow up with the whole college hockey culture like VZ did, like a lot of these kids did that do end up wanting to pick and choose their teams. So uh, I don't know if there's something to be said for that. I do know that, you know, if I was personally, if I was a player, I would go the college route as opposed to the junior route because, hey, free education. Yeah, mm-hmm. you play fewer games, probably nicer. You're st- you get n- the dorm is probably nicer than the house you're sharing with a bunch of other people. Yeah, so living in a house with a bunch of other, like, teenagers to 20-year-olds, no. I went through middle school and high school once. I don't need to do it a second time. You're not busting through Western Canada in the middle of the winter. Yeah, let's get excited to go to Red Deer. Woo! No, I think I'm good. <laughs> uh, I, I would rather... I'd rather make that trip to Huntsville a couple of times a year, which is actually not a bad place to be. Um, it's not great. It's not bad. Not though. great. So okay. the Predators did trade the rights to one Jimmy Vesey for a third round pick, which they in turn took a guy named Rim Pitlick. Now, just based on name alone, I can I can only expect he's going to turn into a Hall of Fame NHL player. But was there any uh, non first round pick that stuck out to you, or anything worth really mentioning here? I'm a big fan of economist Adam Smith in the seventh round. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I think no, I think no. his fiscal policies are going to turn the Predators around. I think it's going to be great. Yeah, I mean, for, he he. I think he could also probably help with the lawsuit. We've already so. talked about the supply. The supply in defensemen in Milwaukee was low, and we've just resupplied it, so the price is going to go up. I mean, just about the supply and demand of goals. Also, the I Predators mean, got out of a bad contract shortly after drafting him. I'm just I'm putting two and two together. here. I mean, it's it's yeah, that was a huge pick. Seven, I, I'm, pretty sure, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure he's the mastermind behind the uh, Jackman buyout. I think they consulted with him beforehand, just basic economics. There are other buyouts I might suggest to him. Anything else really worth mentioning about the draft? It was a draft. I mean, <laughs> it was a draft. Everyone gets really excited, and we forget who all these guys are for about three years, and we're like, oh, yeah, I remember that guy. That's what happened to Ryan Ellis for a while. <laughs> I mean, we, well, saw, we, we, see him. Him, we would see him at development camp, and then, you know, oh, yeah, that guy. Wow, he's got a hell of a shot. That's cool. And then a couple years would go by, and... Then he gradually ascended up. Mm-hmm. Um, let's get into free agency. You mentioned the Jackman buyout. Uh, Mario, you and I were talking about this before the show, that that was equally surprising because we thought that he did everything right this past year. He was an older guy. His positioning was great. Worked really good with Seth Jones when Seth Jones was there. He made Boteto look competent at, at most times. Um, pretty surprising move, don't you think? Yeah, I think so. I was not Jackman's biggest fan. I, his strength was supposed to be positioning, and I really didn't think that was his biggest strength. Um, he was a very good, steady uh, presence on the back end with their extremely young defense. But I was extremely surprised to see them move him. But I guess Poyle decided that he wanted to go with speed and youth. And so I guess the quickest way to do that was to buy him out for $2 million. Yeah, I, I, I think Mario nailed it as far as the motivation. I mean, it, it, 
when you look at the series of moves, trading Weber for PK, buying out Jackman, it's all about creating a more mobile defense force uh, and, and just being able to set up a really dynamic attack and turn the puck around really quick, and that's what's happening. I have a really good non-hockey analogy out there, and I do know that we have that our show is picked up by a lot of people who are getting used to the game, and I know that you know this may go over some people's heads, but... Go over my head, probably. Typically, and to make an NFL-related analogy Yep, here. it will. All right. Uh, NFL, you have your quarterback and you have your backup quarterback. The backup typically only plays if your starting quarterback gets hurt. It makes sense to have the backup quarterback play the exact same system like he's the same build, same type. If you have a mobile first string, you want a mobile second string. If you have a stay-in-the-pocket first string, you want one that does the same thing you know, for, the, for your backup as well. That way you don't have to completely change your offense if something bad happens. The way, this, the way the Predators' defense now works is that you have now six guys that all skate, all move the puck. They aren't going to be dependent of anybody else to get out of their own zone. At times last year with Weber, we saw it clearly in the San Jose series, and he got exploited. He's just asking Yossi to here get out of get get us out of here. You know he's like the like the uh, the secondary character in an action movie, depending on the hero to save him. Here, get us out of here, please. And with Jackman, Jackman's best times came beside Seth Jones. Mm-hmm. And Potato isn't strong enough, or may not have the uh, aptitude to be able to carry uh, Bear Jackman uh, with a defensive pair. So. It makes sense in several different areas. Um, I thought Jackman was a serviceable surprise. and didn't at least just keep him for the depth because at the very worst, Barrett Jackman was a competent number six defenseman that you knew what you were getting. Now they have to, uh, now they're right now they're going through arbitration with Petter Granberg to have a competent number six slash number seven defenseman still in the building. It, it does make you wonder why they didn't just keep Jackman, sign Yannick Weber for the 600,000 or whatever it was, and have that sort of seventh defenseman option with Jackman as that bottom pairing with whoever, Granberg, Potato, whoever it is. Um, I, I like the Yannick Weber signing a lot, actually. I, I, at first I was like, why why are you doing this? But Because in, in Vancouver he wasn't exactly trying. I mean, Vancouver didn't have much going for him. So I, I'm, I'm a big fan of that. Uh, but the Jackman buyout did surprise me. Um, it only – the $2 million is split up over three years, two years? Or is it all $2 million all, all up front? I think it's, I think it's just – um, all up front, but anyways, the, I think the they Jackman wind up saving about six hundred thousand dollars. Okay, that's a good amount of money. That Which co- that, is that, Yannick that Weber's contract. Yannick Weber, so yeah, yeah, Yannick Weber, Swiss. Woo. But Dan, you did remind me, like when you were describing the way things used to be with with Weber and Yossi. I just I finally realized who they are because everyone's always like, oh, it's Batman and Robin. It's Batman. It's not. It. I mean, the pairing. It's Big Trouble in Little China. Weber is Jack Burton. And Yossi is, is Wang Chi. I could see that. You've got or or maybe like the, the Green Hornet where you have, I don't know if you know the but character But there's, there's subtext. There's sub, yeah. it's, it's the subtext of, of Big Trouble in Little China where the, where the whole joke of the entire movie is that Wang Chi is the actual hero, whereas the entire movie centers on Jack Burton. Like, that's where all the attention is. But, but Wang actually gets everything done. Like, he saves the, he's the one saving the day, but the camera doesn't ever focus on him. Huh. Okay. I follow. I so, like it. Yeah. I just, sorry, I'm really, I'm just in a moment like this kind of please glow. I enjoy it right now. <laughs> that was really good. It. The metaphor so makes sense. Go, go, you proceed to discuss hockey again. <laughs> uh, Jackman is uh, do triple six or um, six, 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 comma, six, six, six over the next two years. Oh, good. So to couple him, uh, this is the all, this is the uh, all buyout team for the Predators for this upcoming year. Mm. Victor Stahlberg, Barrett Jackman, Eric Nystrom, and Rich Clune. 
There's only one of those that actually wanted the team for any reason. Yeah, Stahlberg. Yeah, Stahlberg didn't suck. Mm-hmm. No, I just people he had just a perception of had, him that he of a player he wasn't. I'm pretty sure I can go to to Lowe's or Home Depot and buy some uh, some common boards like bed slats and replace air. Uh, replace Stahlberg's arms with them and I think I'd get the same hockey player. I always said if, if if we could if we could have found a way to, to take Hornquist's upper body and Stahlberg's lower body and just sew them together, we would have a great Swedish hockey player. Yeah. Maybe uh, this one would get on the Olympic team. Ooh, yeah. Uh they bought out Eric Nystrom. Thank goodness. Yay. Yeah, I think we're all kinda in accord on that one. Um so didn't return Gostad. Didn't return Gostad, got rid of Eric Nystrom. So literally the entire offseason, and Carter Hutton's gone too. Right. So the offseason from hell a few years ago where they signed Carter Hutton, re-signed Paul Gostad, brought in Eric Nystrom and Victor Stahlberg and Matt Hendricks. All of them are gone. Yeah. I, I, I think we, we need to mention how, well, for at least for me, how hilarious I find that Carter Hutton ended up in St. Louis. Oh, my gosh. I, it, he's like trying to find his opportunity, and he goes in. <laughs> to the carousel, the nightmare carousel well, of goaltending. He knows that that Ken Hitchcock will at least play the backup to the point where he'll ruin his own team in, in the process. I agree. So Carter Hutton's numbers will come out as Carter Hutton's numbers, and they'll be like, "Oh, we we're gonna have to pl- we actually have to start a goaltender." And they got rid of the best goaltender that they had in Brian Elliott. This yeah. is wonderful. Well, more on this in a bit. Um, but much like how Yannick Weber was an actual friend of Roman Yossi. Um, it is good to be Mike Fisher's friend because if you're Mike Fisher's friend, you can play just a handful of games, play a few games in the playoffs, injure yourself going a wily coyote into the boards and get re-signed like Cody Bass. Um, yeah, but he won faceoffs in the playoffs. He did. And you know what? If, if you know what, if they're going to have someone to play the role of Paul Gostad without having to pay Paul Gostad, Cody Bass can also do that and be that guy because you would rather Cody Bass be that guy than someone else because he he's, He's Cody Bass. Unlike Paul Gostad, he's not going to just be required to play just because of his contract. He's going to be sent down. He's going to be, you know, scratched or whatever. But Paul Gostad, because we had to pay him this money, it was like, well, he's going to have to start down there. And that was a, that was a waste of time and a waste of. Yeah. I mean, we lost some games because of that. Yeah, I, I, I don't. I don't think Poyle can can go a season without having a nice guy contract on the books. And and the Bass one is totally a nice guy contract. Um, just because a guy like. Was sixty percent in the circle during the playoffs when he played or something like that? That's nothing related to his career numbers in the faceoff circle. So it's just it's one of those things. You like, do it against the Ducks, which is a very good faceoff team. It, well, but it's 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 a very small. It's a small sample size. Um, Seven games is pretty good, but yeah, I get what you're saying. No, it's not. <laughs> I definitely pretty get what pretty you're good. Saying. Pretty good is eighty two games or yeah. uh, hundred or yeah. one hundred sixty four games. That's 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 how you're going to know how he's going to perform. And that says that he's not going to do sixty percent for a year. No, I mean, no. We don't think that Cody Bass is going to be the the season long. Yeah, but that was center. that was the rationale that you were getting from the fan base. The response, like, oh, right. but he was so good. Yeah, but he was terrible. You don't want eighty two games of Cody Bass. No, he's cheap. He wants some defensive zone faceoffs in the playoffs, which obviously is maybe he won't do over eighty two games. But if that one player kills us, I mean, it's just not going to. Right. He's also a quarter of the cost of Paul Gostad. I exactly. can live with it. Yeah, can live with it. Uh, let's see. Other good news. Hey, they paid Philip Forsberg. They certainly did. Six years, six million, nothing to complain about. And Alex got himself a jersey. I was I was waiting for Forsberg to get signed before I got this jersey. I knew I was going to get it, but I just wanted to wait until he was actually going to be here. Well, he's going to be here. 
And he wore a Preds hat all around Croatia for a week. Did he run into P.K. Subban? He did not, as far as I can tell. In I mean, Croatia? Yeah. Yeah, they were both in the same city for, at the same time. Oh, okay, I didn't know he was in Croatia. They probably didn't have each other's number yet or something. I don't know. I uh, got arbitration pending for Kelly Arncroke and Peter Granberg. Ho-hum. Uh, yeah, I, want, I want a live look into the Peter Granberg arbitration hearing. No, sir. We want 868000 <laughs> The offer is 865 Still. Did you see the arbitration for Mikhail Grigorenko? It was like just a shade over a million dollars. Like, why bother at that point? Yeah. Well, I mean, you're, it, just, you're setting a tone to where you get a shorter contract and get the hell out of Colorado, which if, if that's your goal, more power to you. you well, I, I imagine these guys have some advisors who, who late sat down and said, you're, you know, to, for, for someone in your position, you're going to earn X amount. You can, ex, you, you can expect to play for X number of years. Therefore, to be able to retire comfortably, you're going to have to have X amount. They probably have financial advisors that they're working on to, to, to yeah. figure out what where they need to be because... You know, people are like, oh, it's it's, it's five hundred thousand dollars difference. The player should just accept it. It's like, well, I mean, if they're only going to work till they're thirty five and then have to find something else to do, they need to be able to have sustainable amount of money, and that can go that can disappear very very quickly. And unlike other sports, hockey coaches aren't exactly in a high demand compared to other coaches here in yeah, the states. So mm-hmm. I mean, but me, I mean, whenever it comes to you know CBA stuff, I tend to be pro player more often than not. So I get it. Um. As far as Yarncroke term goes, I'll go around the room here with this. Uh, what are you expecting for Cali Yarncroke? Is he a UFA in two or three years? Mm, he is currently. I know he's not that. He's 24 right now. So I think three years. Probably two years and throw a couple million at him just sort of see if we can continue what he did last year. I would, I'd be hesitant to pay him too much just in case last year was an aberration. But if it was... Go ahead and try to lock him up for a little bit. I mean, he really benefited from his situation. He getting getting all those first line minutes and playing with James Neal and for, for a good part of the season, Ryan Johansson. Um, yeah, three years sounds good. Three years, I think. What one and a half? Well, I, I think the one consideration you have is that um, more than any other player, I think Yarn Crook is one of the biggest risks to getting picked up in the expansion draft. So I think you also might contract with that in mind i don't know if that's a wise thing to do i really i'm i'm, I'm kind of not convinced of it myself but I mean, you may position yourself in, in in such a way that you know you're not just giving away a player on a good contract or something like that i don't know i'm probably overthinking no it, you're, you're right i mean we're going to get into that a little bit later on because we have an idea of kind of what the prayers are going to do in the expansion yeah. draft but i think he's a number he's going he's gonna to be probably the most at risk if the predators do what we're thinking so are you do. saying are you saying are you suggesting giving him more so that he's less apt to be picked up well, no, I just, you know, you, you do very kind of practical, you know, enough to, to you know, keep keep him on kind of a prove-it type contract. Oh, um, okay. Because I think this, this season is going to be a very very much a prove-it one for him this year because of, of the shifts and some of the players coming and going. He's going to have to establish himself because I think there's going to also be more pressure from uh, younger guys who are going to try to be breaking in. So, And also uh, trying to figure out what he's going to do because, I mean, the guy could play wing and play center. Centers typically get paid more. So that's the reason why everyone wants to be moved to center anymore because you're paying centers now in this league six, eight, nine million dollars a year in some cases. Wingers aren't getting that. Wingers are getting six. Wingers are getting you know five, six, occasionally seven. It makes sense to to define your niche at center as opposed to wing if you're doing it to get paid. And the Predators right now have a logjam with older centers right now. Assuming the Mike Ribeiro is having the summer of his life, which I highly doubt, he'll have a chance at center this next year. So it makes sense if you're Cali Yarncrook to only sign a one-year deal and really increase your stock for next year because there's going to be a whole second-line center up this up this uh, next this next uh, summer. 
So I think a one-year deal is likely. Mm-hmm. And I do think Link is right about the expansion draft. Um, yeah, because he could, he could just be gone next summer. Yeah, so to keep, him, to keep the, you know, dangling the carrot in front of him, pretty smart. Granberg, you know, number six, seven defenseman. Okay. Uh, they didn't bite on any of the free agent forwards. So Brandon Peary, Yuri Hoodler, guys that we even expected them to maybe even make a play for. No dice. Um, following up on the Yarncrook deal, is this a, is this more of like a uh, just a confidence in? Because Mike Fisher had a great playoffs. No one can dispute that. Uh, Mike Ribeiro had a terrible playoffs. No one can dispute that either. Ribeiro completely tapered off as of after he had a great February. March was rotten. April was even worse. Uh, May, you know, didn't even bother really showing up and was getting booed at the airport. True story. Mm-hmm. Um in addition to Guy being a legit scumbag off the ice, uh, he didn't really have the performance to justify even keeping him at that point. So the fact that they didn't go out and make a, any type of move in the for forwards, even to get a maybe a, a serviceable utility left winger or bring in another depth centerman, I'm a little bit surprised. But does that mean the organization is that confident in Mike Fisher being able to replicate what he did or maybe even Yarncroke moving into the center role? Uh, where do you guys come out on this? Uh, I'm not. I'm not actually that surprised. I mean, the the Predators have about an eight, about eight million in cap space now. I think that's a that's a pretty good number that David Poyle is comfortable going into the season with that sitting around. Uh, and I don't think that there's any. I mean, David Poyle loves those cheap, mid, you know, mid thirty forwards that are going to be around a million or two. And I just don't think that there was anything that matched that that uh, what what that would call for. I mean, I think. Um, you mentioned Hoodler. I think he would get more like three or four. And uh, there's some other guys that might get closer to three. Sam Gagne. Sam Gagne or Alex Tangay maybe. Uh, there, there are some guys that, that were out there, but I just don't think they appealed to David Poyle's M.O. I, I don't yeah, think they... It's, it's the kind of guys who aren't going to get signed for a few more weeks. Right. You know, a guy a guy like Tangay is not going to get a contract for a few more weeks. And then he's going to get some... He's probably going to get some PT... Some, um, Pay tryouts, yeah, PTOs. At PTOs, yeah. I think uh, there were two different options that Poyle could have taken in, in signing people in free agency. He either could have gone for the overpriced UFA forwards, you know, six by six, or he could have gone with signing some of those guys you're talking about that we have people who are coming up in the system who will fill in for cheaper ELC type contracts. Mm-hmm. So I think between those two options, sticking with what he already had is probably the best. Yeah, Pump- yeah he just cleared. He just cleared out a lot of junk. There's no reason to rush to add more junk, right? Yeah, I don't want to repeat of uh, summer 2013. Good point. Yeah, yeah, 2013 was. I think that's a that's a hard lesson right there. Yeah, I mean, if, at the end by the end of last, I mean, going into last season, the Predators roster like was sort of looking like one of those sad antique stalls. It's just like full of stuff. Like, why would you buy? Like, why would you put that in there? It's like you get one person. They've got like nice chairs, antique chairs, and like Chesterfields, and and a nice chest of drawers. And the other one is like. Why would why would anyone buy a wooden carving of, of a trout that's been painted like Mardi Gras? Or why would anyone buy just endless like just barn doors? Why is there a barn door in this store? It makes a pretty good accent wall. But you know how hard it is to move those things around? Oh, they suck. Yeah, that's yeah, where you mount them on the wall. Not to mention there's no guarantee in the quality of the wood and there's not pests in the wood. Also, people are trying to give away barn doors. Yeah. So it's free. Exactly. They're in there and it's like $750 for a barn door. <laughs> I mean, why? The most bizarre thing, because my, my dad, when he was re- when he retired, he, that's how he started making money was uh, buying a lot of antiques, fixing stuff up, etc. The most bizarre item he ever sold, a uh, an ice mold in the shape of a swan. 
essentially what people in the 80s would do was they would wow. take like this like uh, rubber slash latex slash say I have no idea what it was like saline filled up with water stick it in the freezer and it literally was in the shape and the ice would form in the shape of a swan you peel this off and stick it in the middle of a punch bowl sounds fine that's interesting yeah I would uh, do that I, I, you don't you don't go to parties where there's punch anymore we don't do that anymore as I, as I think to continue I, I think right you're RJ more a punch. RJ Umberger is a, is a free agent. Yeah, and, he, and he's a barn door. Oh yeah, <laughs> major so is, barn door. So is Dan Boyle. Dan Boyle is a Dan barn, Boyle door. barn door. <laughs> Sam Gagne, people think he's a barn door, not a barn door. What kind of door is he? He what? might be a swan mold. He's okay. he's closer to a swan mold. Um, but I, I would say he's more of like one of those. Uh, you ever see you, might, you see him some of these antique stores and like other places where it's the. Uh, it's got it's like a four panel glass door, mm-hmm. but it's got kind of the antique wood. Those you can use for decor, much much more affordable, easier okay. to move around. Um, you can do a lot with them. Mm-hmm. What use about some, like, use some contact paper on the back to, on the windows? So you can actually create scenes. What about just old windows? Just old windows? Yeah, like a, like I right know. now I have in my office sitting is a um, like the old windows out of my old uh, home that I grew up in, and they're uh, the it's the original glass from like nineteen twelve. Yeah, no, so. I, I think yeah, I mean that's probably more of a winger than a center. Yeah, that that's definitely not a centerpiece of a room. No, no, I think a door is going to be a center, and a window is more going to be a winger. Yeah, and defenseman is going to be like a lamp. Typically, the stumps you see, like if you've been, if you've been to any of the antique stores around Nashville anytime recently, they're just full of like people who sell just slices of trees. Yeah. Just little slices of trees are everywhere. That's like free agent defense. People can make those into an end table or a, a bench or a, you know. I, I really don't like that. Where people who take like uh, pieces of wood with live edges and make them into like a, a, a dinner bench. Like a bench that would go with this table right here or with this with your dining table. But since they have live edges, but they're completely the, yeah. uneven. So for so if you're actually sitting on it, you're going to have like, it's going to be kind of weird on your legs. And like one of your legs is going to lose circulation. You're gonna have improper posture at the table, and for me, I just I can't do that. So that'd be a radum verbata, maybe. Uh, you know what? No verbata. Even the you know what? Yeah, because verbata is a uh, is fun to watch. It's I mean, just like the the bench is cool to look at. Wow, that looks really unique <laughs> and, and concept- really special. Conceptually interesting, but 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 when you actually see it in action, you're thinking, oh, well, this used to be awesome, but nah. It's sort of like the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, pretty much. Except mm-hmm. uh, Vancouver has never once uh, since. Uh, when has Vancouver had a number one defenseman? They would argue that Dan Hughes was the number one defense when he right. arrived. That would, they would argue that. Yeah, for like about a month and a half, and like, oh, we got, we well, got BX, this they, guy. BX is, was pretty good in his prime. They, they had someone in that early 2000s, I can't recall. But Alex Edler was pretty good. Tanner Glass. Um, um, Chris Tanev was supposed to be this guy, but you know, I don't really see it. Yeah, that's a great question, and one yeah. we don't have to, thankfully, ponder too much on because it's the Vancouver Canucks. All right, um... One last thing to, to talk about the free agent forwards. How much does this organization love Colton Sissons to be more than just a fourth-line center? Because if you're not going to be spending money on center depth, and of course some of this just may be cautious, uh, caution due to the, the um, impending expansion draft, if you do sign a whole lot of guys, that means that that's one more person you have to expose the expansion draft because we believe they're going to go with the eight skaters and one goalie. If they love Colton Sissons uh, to be possibly more than a fourth-line center. It doesn't make sense for them to go out and get someone like a, uh, not necessarily an Eric Stahl type, but even like a Franz Nielsen. Like if Nielsen was a guy that we were considering, 
I'm sorry. I, I was looking up number one Vancouver Canucks defenseman Ed Jovanovski is who I was thinking of. Oh wow, that's yeah. that was back when they were wearing like the bizarre like '90s as hell uniforms, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. like er, late '90s and 2000s, early 2000s. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I just as far as filling that space, and I'm not so much. I, I'm not quite convinced of Sissons as a number three center. Um, with, you know, even given how he, how he skated last year. Uh, you know, I, th- I think you're going to see two things. You're going to see a very competitive training camp with uh, with a lot of young players who are going to try and fight for a spot in the roster because there are some, there's there's one or two spots in the roster, especially at center, uh, where you know a guy like Kamenev or Trenin can can try and make a case for themselves. Not that they're going to pull it off. I mean, I think Trenin's probably too way too young. Probably, but um, but Kamenev may have. Am I getting? Uh, let me know if I get those guys mixed up. No, a lot of right. pe- um, a lot of people think Kamenev yeah. is going to make the team. Kamenev, I, th- I think could could maybe pull pull it off. And you put him in like a third line role to acclimate to the NHL, you can have a lot of success there. And then you're going to have some some old like if if Gagne is still around, you might be able to just get him for for even cheaper than his last contract. And and he could. He, I mean, that would be a, a a really great third line center or se- even fill in second line center. Uh, I I would be okay with Sissons. I mean, Sissons I don't think is a third line. I don't um I don't know. There there's such a jumble of players that are all uh, all have a chance on that on that third and fourth line. Um, to be honest, I think you once you fill out those top three lines, you can't really go wrong with the fourth line too much with the what they have now, especially who they got rid of. Um, but uh, <laughs> Sissons is a fine option there. Yeah, I really anticipate him getting the exact same deployment as Gostad did, sort of seeing him in action at the end of the season when Gostad was hurt. I really think Laviolette's just going to trot him back out there in the same fourth-line role, burying him in the defensive zone, making them get him out into the offensive zone. I just sort of see him getting that sort of deployment instead of any sort of more offensive third-line role. I think that's fair. Um, let's dig into it again. Um, we already touched on where you were whenever uh, Weber was traded for P.K. Subban. For those who were relatively new and those who don't, uh, we have, you were talking about uh, newer fans not quite knowing who this is because I think that hockey fans, more so than any other sport, are guilty of only watching their own team. Mm-hmm. I, a lot of people in Nashville have probably never watched a Montreal game just to see PK or just to see what you know, just to watch a Montreal game for the sake of watching a Montreal Canadiens game. However, however, this particular guy made an appearance in Nashville earlier this year that people talked about when he dressed in a Yager wig and skated around. People who didn't necessarily watch the Predators did hear about this guy. So you can actually say, at least I've had this experience, no, this is the guy that was at the All-Star game that that, that skated around in a Yager wig, and they're like, oh, I think I remember that. So who's he play for? <laughs> so, Us now. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, who did he play for? So, so when, when someone asks you, who is P.K. Subban, is that part of your answer? Uh, that's what I've said. Yeah. Did you watch the All Star game? Oh, I think so. Yeah. Right. That's that's usually part of it. Chris Link, who is PK Subban? PK Subban is just raw, glorious personality and talent. And it's I have had a a very short list of players that I would dream of playing in Nashville. That I also had list. It's, it's a I'd love to have these guys in Nashville, but they'll never be here. And he was. Very much at the top of that list. Who else is on this list? I mean, we got guys like um, you know Giroux, Wayne Simmons, um, Joe Thornton. Other Flyers. Joe Thornton's not a Flyer. I know. <laughs> you did mention two Flyers. I did. <laughs> okay. I did mention two Flyers. I also love to see Ovechkin, Sidney Crosby in Nashville. Okay. Um, those aren't Flyers <laughs> either. Um, but you know, PK Subban, and uh, you know, and and even guys like Carey Price, like guys who just never, you just never think they're going to move 
out of their team. And that was very much what the Canadians were. It was PK's team. And and so it was just a complete shock because he's such a in like an actual NHL celebrity uh, in, in a way that Nashville's never had before at any point in any form, never been the case. Not even Forsberg because Forsberg was, you know, that was still in the good old hockey players or hockey players, you know, mm-hmm. personality sucks. Um, so it's just, this, it's really kind of this magical, magical thing. And even if he's only, you know, a, average or moderately successful and the team achieves things similar to how they've always achieved things, his sheer force of personality and, and that attention, I, I think is just going to do great things for the organization. Yeah, I'm not sure how um, he'll be about raising the profile of the organization, but I'm sure that the fans here are definitely going to love him. I don't know how he's going to play in the room. I think that's always sort of debatable and we'll never really know about that. But the fans here definitely are going to really like him. Um he was talking on that behind-the-scenes thing about when you're open with people, they'll be open with you. And coming up to him and shaking his hand and stuff. That hmm. you know, as much as I love Shea Weber, he was my favorite player here in Nashville. You know, with all, with all the shortcomings, you are never ever going to get that from Shea Weber, but you will get that from PK Subban. And maybe he'll be able to bring more people in just from sheer force of personality. Fans here in Nashville. That's a good point. Yeah. I- to some extent, I think Shea Weber was kind of a slow burn for a lot of people in Nashville. These sort of started hearing about him, and then he slowly became like the most. Uh, is he was he the most recognizable predator to this point in terms of size and image? I mean, maybe I think Mike so. Fisher, Rene, I think was now up on Mike that list Fisher. Too. Yeah, I, I think that people underestimate how much people, especially women and children, love Pega Rene. That's a good point. Legwand was the first franchise player, but he was not recognizable or good. Yeah, people wonder why the Predators never won stuff. When your franchise player at one point was David Legwand. Yeah. I mean, nice guy, boats and all, but, yeah. you know, Admiral Legwand was never the, the answer. Admiral, that's kind. That's very kind of you. <laughs> he, he would he would love that praise. Uh, I was thinking earlier, uh, if, if if hockey had a spirit animal, it would be P.K. Subban. Yeah, uh, well, yes and no, because I think P.K. Subban does a lot of things that people in the hockey community wish they could do. They wish they could be as fluid as him. They wish they could be, they could go on Snapchat with Steve Aoki. You know, they wish that's actually happened. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they wish that they would be chronicalizing their, their trip to Croatia and just having the best time ever. He does things that, he, he's, P.K. Subban is like the ultimate popular kid in school that can do everything that he really wants to, he or she really wants to, and make it look so natural. Mm-hmm. And I and think a lot of people... uses powers for good. Yeah. I think there's some truth to that. My my lasting uh, memory of PK was uh, I tend to pull for the Bruins in the playoffs at, from time to time just because I think that I look at the Bruins as necessary evil because if there's a team that you don't like, you would like to see them play the Bruins or play the Kings or play a team that's just going to mash them. It's satisfying for me. I had, I've never had more fun watching a non-Predators playoff se- series than watching the Vancouver Canucks get humbled in game seven by the Boston Bruins. That was pretty fun. That was satisfying and soul cleansing and glorious. So watching like the Bruins just try to fight Montreal and Montreal's like, no, we're just going to score. That was PK. That was a lot of what PK Subban was. So I'm looking excited. I'm, I'm very excited for this upcoming season. There's kind of like that lull. I think that all of us who write and all of us who cover the team and all of us who record or do anything when it comes to hockey, there's kind of like a, Man, I don't really feel like doing this over the summertime. We got to turn out content, blah blah blah. Now we have something to actually cover in the summertime. Like cooking with Yakov Trenin is fun and all, but I would much rather cover PK Subban's vacation <laughs> than his, his Instagram account. Right. So, 
Uh, a couple of hockey related questions regarding this though. Um, everyone's talking about the effect that PK is about PK coming in. How do you guys feel about losing Shea Weber? Because Shea Weber has been the guy who for a lot of, for a lot of it has enabled Roman Yossi to be this dynamic skating defenseman guy who's able to carry the play because you do have Weber behind him with, uh, you're losing that you're losing the, um, the physical nature of Shea Weber, even though Subban does hit people, Subban does have a hell of a shot himself. You're losing a little bit here with Shea Weber. So how do you guys feel about kind of trading the devil you know for the devil you don't know? Well, well, the thing, you talk about enabling Yossi. The, the, the big problem, and I think you may have mentioned this earlier, is that, okay, yeah, he enabled Yossi, but also you had the issue where the play was always, to break out of the zone, was always forced into Yossi. And so Yossi was often in positions that were not optimal for trying to carry the puck out because... Weber would dish in the puck, and he had to find a way to get out of the zone. Um, now, assuming they're going to be paired together with with you know Yossi and, and Subban, you have if if Yossi's in a better position to carry the puck out, Subban's probably going to try to get in the puck, vice versa. So I think you're going to see more, a lot more success with, with zone breakers. I think you're going to see improvements in Yossi because he's not going to be the single kind of of, of bottleneck to get out of the zone for the defenseman. I mean, especially when you're out there with um, like lower line forwards, where you know if if you've got Yossi Weber out there with a guy like Gostad or Nystrom, who their number, their first thing they're going to do is get the puck in their stick and flip it high as as high as it can in the air and hope it goes over the line, and then trying to reposition <laughs> the, the Minnesota style. <laughs> yeah, I, it, you're going to see. I think you're going to see less of that even at the lower lines where uh, Yossi and Subban are going to be like, if the forwards can't get it done, we can get it done. And they can. We, we'll we'll figure it out when we're in the offensive zone. Yeah, I think by last year, um, Weber had essentially started using Yossi as a crutch to get out of the zone. And he, especially when he was on the ice with like Gostad and Nystrom, he was the only person on the ice who could skate. And so actually, now I kind of worry um, this upcoming season, like if Yossi is open to get out, will PK still take the puck up the ice himself? Like, will he? Will there be that sort of passing back and forth? Mm-hmm. I guess we'll have to see how their chemistry works out. But I, I don't think there'll be much of an issue between the two of them. Yeah. Um... I'm I'm gonna, I'm sad losing Weber. Uh, I he's a, he was a, a landmark for me in, in in this franchise. Think about think about what Nashville is known for now in the league, being this sort of factory line of defensemen. Weber kind of started that. The Weber Suter draft was kind of the, the beginning of that. Kevin Klein as well, I guess, uh, was the sort of beginning of that of us being known as that. Weber was th- this sort of. I mean, I, I said he was like the recognizable face of our franchise. He he kind of started that and now he's gone. So what are we now? Uh, are we still that? I mean, I think we are, but you know, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to lose that kind of a landmark for about two or three years. Um, earlier this decade, you can make an argument that Weber, if you had like a, a van full of NHL players, that were the best NHL players in the league. You can make an argument for a short while during the early part of this decade that Weber should be in that van. Mm-hmm. And, uh, after he signed that contract, I don't feel like that, that he, earned a place in the van. Um, You're right. There's the hockey side of this, and there's the, 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 the bleeding heart apologist side of where I'm coming from that's, I'm really sad losing Weber, but then the hockey decision is like, this is great for us. Also this the, is great the, for the Predators. The, the, I mean, the, the biggest uh, item I'm worried about as far as the lasting impression is that the last game that Shea Weber likely will ever play for the Nashville Predators oh. was his worst game he probably ever played right. for the Nashville Predators. That was a horrible game, and that's that's bothersome a little bit for my own bleeding heart mm-hmm. sensibilities. 
So. I, I refuse to remember that series. I'll remember the Detroit Red Wings series of 2012 and the Duck series of 2011 where he tied the game late in No, that Anaheim. he tied the game. He started every game they won by murdering somebody in the corner. Right. It was yeah. Perry one game, Getzlav, and then Solani in game five. That's what I'm going to remember. Even though that was four or five years ago, that's what I'll remember. And Tom Callahan's call, and then, yes, yeah, Smithson's goal. Um, two, uh, two quick more bits on this one. We'll get to break regarding the, uh, the Weber-Suban trade. Uh, are any of you really worried about the cap recapture penalty? Just real quick around the room. Uh, the standard way to handle these contracts at this point is if the guy can't play, you stick him on long-term injury for all eternity. Um, and I think, I think as tradition dictates, you then trade that contract to Arizona. So I'm not actually too worried because you know now that the uh, Canadians are on the hook for quite a bit of money as well, in the end they're going to want him. They're also going to want him to to sit on that long-term injury reserve in the future and just sort of hang out in the back office. Like, do, just basically pull a Chris Pronger or something like that. If it leads to a Stanley Cup, no. I'm not worried about it. No. Yeah, I'm not worried at all. Either he'll go to the Chris Pronger or long-term injury reserve until the end of time, or over this next lockout, they'll make some sort of way for us to get out of it. I don't anticipate it being a problem. And, and to say that contract... To this day, I still think that offer sheet contract should have never been approved by the NHL. It clearly violated the rules the NHL laid out. Clearly violated the the, the rules, and they approved it. We're all enjoying the speech coming from a man wearing a Flyers hat. <laughs> <laughs> I don't hold any illusions about the organization. Uh, I know. I'm just. I'm... I mean, they pioneered some of the. I mean, pre. Uh, you know me and names. I just I forget names. I, I forget names of people I know. Uh, Pre Hextall, there we go. Yeah. Did it. Pre Hextall, that team was a disaster. I mean, Holmgren, yeah, as, as you just said, he signed so he invented new ways to sign bad contracts. And Hextall just had to come in and be like, "All right, we're gonna fix everything." I mean, those were nightmare years. Holmgren ran the team into the ground the best he could. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's things like because that was the Kovalchuk, you know, Kovalchuk rule. Where the where they were, was it New Jersey who had the contract that was declined for Kovalchuk? Yes, I think it was New Jersey. So I mean, Weber's was not that different than the Kovalchuk contract, and for some reason the NHL said that was fine. It doesn't make any sense. It was clearly in violation of the rules. The NHL approved it anyways, and then the Predators had were stuck. They had to sign the. Mm-hmm. They had to match it. Yeah. All right, uh, one more, and uh, this is a thought. Uh, as far as again, some of the reasons why this trade was made. You have Ryan Ellis and Matias Ekholm that are similar players. I mean, they're they're not the similar body types. Matias Ekholm is very quietly six foot four, and Ryan Ellis is you know five ten. But everyone acts like he's a freaking speed bump when it comes to height. Um, they had a very good year playing a very similar style together. Where a couple of guys that shared the puck moving duties at some at certain points in the season they were split up because other lines didn't even have a puck mover. Uh, so you got to see the glory that was Matias Ekholm and Peter Granberg. And Barrett Jackman with Ryan Ellis, and neither really worked well. But when they were together, they were one of the best pairs in the NHL. How much did their success together play into this trade? If you can have two similar defensemen that play a similar style, that both can carry the puck, that both can cause problems in the offensive zone, as well as skate it out of the defensive zone, is that the part of the reason why they made this trade, or is this just trying to get out of a contract of Shea Weber and for a comparable player? It was a, it was a team philosophy move i don't i don't i i think it has as much to do with with uh ellis and ekholm as it as it does with just the the, the skill set the suban has uh because everything is about it's about attacking it's about movement it's about speed it's about direct play 
Um, it, it's about all those things. And so you have two assets you see him work really well who can do that direct play. You all of a sudden take your top pairing, which had some direct, but you know had a very traditional defenseman and a, and, and then a very much a puck moving attacking defenseman. And all of a sudden, you know, you have the same thing you had in the second pairing. Now you've got in the first pairing ide- ideal. That's the hope I think to have in the first pairing. And you just have that much more energy. You fit into. You have not only did you get the right player for the team, but he's also got a better skill set than almost any other guy in the league as as far as being an attacking defenseman outside of you know Eric Carlson. I, I'll buy what you're saying, Dan. I, I think that's that could that was probably something that went through David Poyle's mind. Um, I just I also just think that it was an oppor- opportunistic kind of uh, uh, um, what's what's that called when you're at the checkout counter and there's the magazine or the candy impulse right? an impulse purchase an impulse trade from DP where he was just like this came across. I, I mean, I don't think he was pursuing PK Subban. I don't think anyone. Given the that. other moves Montreal made, well, I don't think so. One, <laughs> one, one GM did get fined for for violating the rules for saying he was per- actively pursuing Subban. Uh, Benning from so Vancouver, I think yeah. I think there were I, I would disagree and okay. say that there were definitely GMs actively pursuing Subban because one guy got fined for it. But what I'm saying is, was Nashville one of those? I, well, I think that I definitely think they were because okay. if, if if you've got some guy who's getting fined for talking about it, there's, okay. there's probably a lot, I mean, there's a reason they've got the chances rules are Bergevin just sent out an email to like. Most of the general managers and said, "Hey, we want PK. Yeah, Let's right. hear it." I, I, but I like your, I like your analysis of that. Um, I also just know that uh, David Paul had to know there. We have we've just had this defensive heavy draft. We have de- you know these defense defense core right here that we uh, we can rely on. We know what we're good at. Uh, let's make it. Let's make a trade that saves us money in the long run. So regarding, so do you have any like disagreement as far as, um, you think it was a style move or do you think this was just a simple hockey move or is this a financial move? I don't think it was a financial move at all. Um, obviously we've already poured a whole lot of money into Shea Weber that we're not going to get back. I think it's a whole lot about the new philosophy, the team, fast puck moving, that sort of thing. Um, like he's, I, I do think it was a lot of an impulse decision to get mm-hmm. him. Um, he said that he went up to Tarion at the draft and, or Bergevin and was like, so hey, do you want to trade me uh, PK Subban? And right. They decided they were going to trade him. Right. So the fact that it was a one for one move is, is I think, really it was really bothering people up there. We're going to take our um, take our halfway break. Uh, coming back on the other side, we're going to talk about some of the other teams in the NHL, some of the good and the bad that they did. Also, get into expansion and five tough questions. Listen to the Predcast brought to you by Lion's Own Internet Marketing Solutions. These days, you need a partner current and latest website design standards, one that also provides quality support services like hosting email, e-commerce, CMS, and more. And you need a partner experienced in online branding and marketing, like social media, search engine marketing, rich media, and email marketing. You need a partner that knows how to market your company in today's age of advertising. You need LionZone. Their professional staff and partners have the know-how, creativity, and experience to help you reach your marketing goals. Contact them today for a free consultation at 615 353 0402 that number again is 615-353-0402 or you can reach them on their website at www.lionzone.com lionzone nashville's leading internet marketing agency since 1999 
All right, welcome back in. Let's take a minute or two to look around the rest of the NHL, see uh, what other teams did, and kind of give our yay or nay or apathy vote on as far as what other teams did. Let's start with Montreal. As we were talking about off-air, Montreal got really weird really quick. Uh, they brought in Andrew Shaw. They brought in Alex Radulov, and they bring in Shea Weber. So as a way of kind of being counterculture to the rest of the NHL getting faster, getting you know guys who play with the puck, going more straight more possession, then you have the Canadians who are going the exact opposite way. And they weren't a great possession team to begin with, and then now they get decidedly worse, uh, which there's no telling what Radlov's going to do when he comes back in. But um, your initial impressions of Montreal, and uh, also is Mark Bergevin going to get ran out of town, or when is Mark Bergevin going to get ran out of town? Uh, the Canadians are interesting in that I, I think if they come into the season and they have a healthy carry price for the whole year, they should probably make the playoffs. I would expect them to make the playoffs. I wouldn't expect them to go deep in the playoffs or perform particularly well, um, but but I do think that the team. I mean, I, I think the Radulov contract and term is kind of spot on. Uh, I, I actually think that that's going to work out for them decently well. Uh, you know, Radulov was so dominant in the KHL that it sort of just says, hey, he's going to be able to walk into the NHL and be an effective forward. Uh, and again, Weber is is a really good defenseman. He's a good defenseman. So. They don't have P.K. Subban, but they do have a really good defenseman. Um, and then, you know, Shaw is Shaw. You know exactly what you're going to get from him. And, you know, as long as he's not playing a major part of the team, he's playing kind of a, a, a depth role, you know, he's it's a, it's a fine player. It's, you know, his contract may not be the best. I'd have to review the numbers because I think he got a little overpaid. But, you know, I, I, I don't think that they're substantially worse. I think it's a little blown out of proportion. I, I, I still think... They need to fix their coaching and their GM roles because uh, they are trending in the wrong direction long term. Um, Andrew Shaw, uh, three point nine over the next five years. Yeah, Actually, five over years. The next, it, uh, six years. I'm sorry. Yeah, the term is ridiculous. The three point nine is, eh, but the term is give Colin Wilson money. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I, I think long term they're trending in the wrong direction. Radulov, one year, five point seven five million. Yeah, I think it's, I think that's a good deal. Um, I think they I think they got worse pretty significantly. I think defensively. Uh we talked about Weber being um having the benefit of Roman Yossi and uh the benefit of a of a second pairing in Ellis and Ekholm. Now he's with Andre Markov, Nathan Beaulieu, who's unproved unproven. Um they've got Jeff Petrie. I don't think that's a very good defensive core. I think Kerry Price is gonna have to do a lot more work than he's ever done and um slowly begin to slide down the scale of top-tier goaltenders. And uh, I don't think that Alex Radulov or Andrew Shaw, in addition to what they have, although they've got a good group of forwards now, um, as long as Brandon Gallagher can remain healthy, uh, they, they they actually might be a kind of a flip-flop team of, of actually a decent offensive team and that struggles to tr- struggles to stop the puck. Uh, I, I, but I think they're worse. I don't, I don't think that, that Weber is going to make that team uh, all of a sudden defensive powerhouse. I can't believe you guys are sleeping on their biggest free agent signing. They signed Bobby Farnham, I think, a one-year two-way deal. Wow. Yeah, I don't... They're going for it. Yeah, I don't think Weber makes him any worse. I think he really will fit into Terry's system, probably better than P.K. Subban did, even though P.K. is a better, faster defenseman. Um, Andrew Shaw is a worse Brendan Gallagher. Uh, Alex Radulov, he's a good player, but he's kind of insane. 
So I'm not really <laughs> sure how well he's actually going to play in the NHL. I mean, he's a good player, but I don't really know how, how long will he be in the NHL. He's got a standing relationship with, is it Bergeron or Tieran that he's got a standing, he actually has a relationship with? I know he had a relationship with Patrick Waugh. I was expecting him to go to uh, Colorado. Because I, I think he's he's got some roots in in uh, Quebec. Yeah, because he played in, uh, he played juniors um, for the Quebec Ramparts. Yeah, and so I, 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 I'm, I'm trying Montreal. to remember back that, it, that he had some, there's some people at the Montreal organization he's got some ties to from his, from his his junior hockey years, uh, so I, I think he's going to personality wise. I, you t- they talk about oh you know PK Subban personality issues in the locker room. Well, you bring in a guy who's known for personality issues in the locker room, but I, I think I, I just have this feeling that as Russian as Radulov may be, he's got a little bit of French French in him, and I think that's gonna I think he's gonna sort of mesh in that environment a little bit better than people are expecting, and this is. Total, total, like supposition on my part, but uh, I, I'm not. I'm really, for some reason, not concerned about him in in Montreal. I think he's going to have a good year. I mean, granted, I think he might only have a couple years where he's going to be effective in the NHL before he's sort of done. But he's going to have at least one good year. I think he's going to go back at some point. Uh, let's go with. Let's go back to the Central St. Louis. Uh, they bring back David Perron. They extend Jake Allen, who was the statisticians will point to that he was the least effective of the uh, the two goaltenders that they have with uh, him and Brian Elliott. They bring in Carter Hutton to fill the void, and David Backus walks and goes to Boston. So the Blues didn't exactly get better uh, by any stance. They did extend Jaden Schwartz, and they still weren't able to trade Kevin Shattenkirk despite uh, demanding the mm. entire world for Kevin Shattenkirk. They yeah. lost Troy, Troy Brower as well. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're losing depth. Um, across the board, they lost forward depth. They lost defensive. Did they lose defensive depth? I don't know, but they've. They, They're going to. I mean, yeah, Pareko's going to get another year better. Petrangelo's still a very good defenseman. Jay Bomeister is now made of Provel, and he's but, indestructible. But the combination of Elliott and Allen was was really vital to success the past few years, and they've just said, and and for some reason, that organization has been dead set on just destroying that. They've done everything they can do everything they could to find these two goaltenders who are playing really well together, who, who just at a high level competing with one another, and they've just tried to obliterate it. And they finally did it. And I think it's going to be a huge negative impact on the team going into this year. Yeah, I'm not sure if uh, Jake Allen actually has what it takes mentally to be a starting goaltender. And if Carter Hutton is his backup, we all know how good a backup Carter Hutton is. Well, if you talk about mental toughness, I mean, Remember that whole thing that came out last season where part of Hutton's job was to be like Pecorini's therapist? <laughs> so maybe he's going to be <laughs> Allen's therapist and help him be that starter he always needs. He always wanted to yeah, be. Yeah, so maybe Carter Hutton's next career, instead of being the television analyst we want him to be, he'll actually become a psychiatrist. Sport, sports therapist. There we go. Maybe Carter Hutton, sports therapist. Maybe the, I'm worried about Colin Wilson now. Colin Wilson's known for getting, I mean, good on him for doing it, but he hired a sports therapist to kind of get his game back a couple years ago. He he needs that guy in retainer, probably. Alex, what are your opinions? Uh, about St. Louis? Yeah, St. Louis didn't get better. Um, what are they, I mean... Losing I, losing Brower and Backus will hurt them more than they think, and Carter Hutton will hurt them more than they think. They do have some good prospects. I mean, Fabry's going to you know, get another year under his boots. Uh, you're going to have... Um, oh, who's the kid they have? That uh, Yeah, not Yaskin, but the uh, Ty Ratty. Okay. He's still, you know, they've they've still got the depth to be able to absorb some of these losses, but we're talking about the identity of a Ken Hitchcock team, which is a lot of big lugs, um, uh, you know, big old school hockey. And you have Mike Yo, who's the uh, coach in waiting, which 
We could talk about that for a second. That's one St. Louis ass coaching staff. They have Ken Hitchcock transition to Mike Yo. Ooh, there's nothing pretty about that. I, I'm I'm trying to work through all the the thoughts going just just surging. The fact my head that right Vladimir now. Tarasenko is one of the most entertaining and just most fun to watch players in the entire league, in spite of being coached now by Ken Hitchcock and Mike Yo, should give an extra dash of appreciation to one Vladimir Tarasenko. So is Tarasenko the only thing standing in between the Blues being as unwatchable as the Minnesota Wild in a year? Yeah, I mean, I, I think Stastny is about ready to just be like, I guess I'm ready to essentially be a, a skating body. Like, I, I, I'm i going to be a retired skating hockey player. No, he's going to do what every other centerman under Mike Yo does. Become a number two center. The the Blues lost their second and third leading goal scorers from this past year in Troy Brower and David Backus. They're not going to get better. That's really, actually, that's a really sad that. statistic. That's, wow. Poor Tarasenko. He's all by yeah. himself. Like He's the only guy who can score goals in the entire team. Yori Laterra can't stay healthy anymore. Back is with 21 and Brower with 18. I mean, Jaden Schwartz is a very good young player, but when you take away depth and as much uh, attention as David Backus commands in the ice, because David Backus is not the most talented guy on the, on, on the planet. He's not. But what he does in the ice draws so much attention to him. Very similar to, how, to Mike Fisher, except back is a little bit more offensively gifted and maybe a little bit more defensively gifted than Mike Fisher at this stage of his career. But he draws a lot of attention on the ice. So now you're going to have Schwartz, Tarasenko, Laterra. That whole crop is going to have to be able be asked to carry the entire offense for a team that is going to struggle to score next year. Mm-hmm. Make it even better, Chicago. Uh they traded away Tavo Teravainen and Brian Bickle and Brian Bickle's contract for draft picks to Carolina. They brought in uh, Brian Campbell, brought him back for a swan song. Campbell's going to play probably a couple of years and then skate him off into retirement. Chicago didn't exactly get better either. Uh, Andrew Ladd walked. Uh, no one expected them to sign him anyways. Uh, Chicago right now is – and uh, also they got rid of Andrew Shaw, which I think of the Chicago Blackhawks. Andrew Shaw is one of those guys that draws a lot of attention, both good and bad. Um, Chicago didn't get better either, did they? Well, the, the thing about Chicago, and this has been the fascinating thing to watch them do over the over the past, I don't know, five six years, is that they they and what I think they're doing. So this is my this is my my best guess on what I think they're doing is that they go through they're they're in a cycle and they have they hit their peaks and they go back down and they and so what they have to do is they have it's it's how they're managing the cap and they recognize there's certain players that they ship out. Um, but I, I, so I think we're seeing them on kind of one of the decline phases where they're having to ship out players so they can set up to compete for cups again in, in another year or two when they can start getting competitive again. Uh, and so they, they kind of get into a, to a cap hell scenario and they have to recover and they get into a cap hell scenario and they have to recover. And what keeps them afloat and effective and able to do this is that they are such a destination for players. People want to come to Chicago because it's got the pedigree now, it's got the coaching, it's got the organization, the buy-in, the fan base. Uh, so they can afford to do those sort of things because at the end of the day they can attract those free agents at decent prices. Um, so yeah, I don't think they, I don't think they got better. They might have gotten a little bit worse, but I don't think they're really concerned because that it's I think they're doing that intentionally. Also, the expansion draft because Chicago has so many players on no trade clauses. They have four forwards with no trades. They have one goalie and three defensemen with no trades. So. Right now, Chicago is going to have to expose... They would have had to expose Teravine into the expansion draft anyways. So I do see that side of it, but knowing Chicago, they're an organization that goes mostly all in every single year. 
I mean, right now they have, <laughs> for 2018, they have one, two, three, four, five forwards under contract. That's it. Yeah, but because they, ha- they need to set themselves up. They have to go through these cycles because the successful teams, the really elite successful teams, get themselves into cap trouble because it's so hard to manage that number of quality players they can pull on the roster. And and so you at some point have to let people drop off or trade people or be clever to be to be able to manage that really effectively and be successful for a longer period of time and not, you know, spike and then collapse for years and then try to spike again. We were talking earlier to this. I mean, I don't want to completely just shift course here. We were talking earlier about the uh, cap recapture penalty for Shea Weber. Marion Hosa signed till 2021. He's 37. Yeah, I assume uh, year after next, he will go out with an upper body injury and never come back. Well, that's still cap room that he'll take up because he takes up about 5.275 in cap room, but geez. Well, I mean, long-term injury will yeah. solve a lot of that. <laughs> that, that is, <laughs> yeah, he, I guess he's it, never retiring. So he'll be 41 no. at that time that contract's up, assuming he plays the entire time? Yeah, he's still got it. Maybe he's just spent his offseason with Yager and he'll be fine. No, he he's done. He has, I, he has another year and then he's done. He he only had uh, 30, uh, 33 points this past year. Uh, how many games? Uh, sixty four. Wow. Okay. So previous year, year previous years, uh, sixty one, sixty had thirty one points in the forty game season. Uh, seventy seven and eighty one, fifty seven and sixty five, fifty one and fifty seven, seventy one and seventy four, fifty six and sixty. Very consistent player uh, for Atlanta. He had a hundred points in an eighty two game season, but. He kind of fell off the cliff last year, yeah, well, and that's playing yeah. beside Jonathan Taves and and yeah, I don't get it. So unless he finds that, figures out what um, Cullen took this last year to get him through the season with Pittsburgh, he has very little left in him. Werewolf blood, exactly. Yeah, there we go. I do think the Blackhawks made one of the best one of the best signings. Uh, I think Brian Campbell was a good signing. He wanted to come back there. I mean, yeah. we're talking about them being a destination franchise. Brian Campbell wants to finish his career in Chicago. I think he'll do well on that second pair. I think he'll that that was a good signing. That was a very good sign. They needed it too. Yeah, well, yeah. and it's hard to the, the credit for that signing goes to Brian Campbell because he said, "I want to come play in Chicago. How much will you give me?" And they're like, "We'll give you this much." Like, great deal. Yeah, he's already made his money. Yeah, it was I mean, one of those things where they just mutually wanted each other, and they're like, "We're happy to have you retire a Blackhawk," and you know they'll do it the right way, whatever that is. I mean, they've got their top three locked up. Keith, Seabrook, Jomerson, for relatively good cap hits. Campbell's at 1.5, and after him you have Trevor Van Reensnyk, uh, Mikhail Kempney, Eric Gustafson, and Roosevelt is somehow still on that team. So I'm pretty to say their defense is top-heavy is kind of an understatement, but Campbell does help out there. Uh, let's talk about the Wild. Get excited no. about that. Uh, they added Eric Stahl for a very manageable deal, three three years, three and a half. They bought out Thomas Vanek. They bring in Chris Stewart and Victor Bartley. Yeah, I, I totally miss where Victor Bartley is now a member of the Wild. He is now a Wild. That's a not a good hockey team. <laughs> I mean, this is they're just not a good hockey team. They are marginally better than they were last year. Yes. If Asterix. they can stay healthy, they'll be Asterix, marginally yeah. better than they were last year. You have have There's a so uh, can go wrong with that team with Minnesota. Now you have a a compelling uh, uh, case this upcoming year. You have Mikael Granlin, Miko Koivu, Eric Stahl, all fighting over that coveted number two center position in Minnesota. And what's it, the it's, average? What's the average age of that team? Okay, at this so, point? so go. I pull up General Fanager and their uh, their top their highest paid forwards 
31, 33, 33, 31. And then you get in like your Charlie Coyles, Mikhail Granlins, the their golden generation that didn't quite pan out. Uh, Coyle, Granlin, <laughs> Bronze generation. Nita Ryder, uh, Zucker. Those guys are all 23, 24 years old. Uh, Eric Howell is 25. I, they're not that old. But they I mean, don't have... Their key players are all... Their key players are 31 to 33 years old. You're Which right. Which is not great. It's, I mean, you guys remember Zach Parisi? You guys remember Zach Parisi? Uh, he had a yogurt commercial the other like couple years ago, right? I mean, wow, uh, yogurt's great. Faye, Dannon, what are we talking? Uh, I, I want to say it was a Dannon product. Okay. Well, he also did a um a commercial for the United States Olympic team's official beverage, chocolate milk. Chocolate milk, right? Chocolate milk. Oh hell yeah! Um, it's a new sports drink, chocolate milk. Actually, that's what I used when I after I work out. That's my recovery drink. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, There's science behind that, actually. Yeah, it is good protein. The good thing is, if this, if the Minnesota sugars, Wild, sugars for quick recovery. That's the, if this team that they have now is not good, it's they're not. not. They're not good for three years. Exactly, three or four years. Yeah, well, they don't have anything better. coming. Right, Iowa's terrible. Yeah, the Iowa Wild aren't aren't very good. I mean, they went all in with these kids a few years ago, trying to replicate the Blackhawks model and. Swing and a miss. Yeah, well, the problem with they were trying to replicate the Blackhawks model, but they only draft and sign players who are from Minnesota or played in college hockey, and that's not a way to run a hockey team. Anytime, it's it's the same thing. It's the <laughs> same the reason. A- they are the athletic Bill Bow of well, no, hockey. they're they're the they're the well, except Bill Bow is actually a de- half decent team. Um, they they are like the American version of the Canadians, Montreal Canadians. I should be more clear. Uh, that you know, they have this obsession. Like, if you have a French-sounding last name, you could be from any. You could be from South Sudan. If you have a French-sounding last name, they will sign you to a contract. C'est bleu. So, and uh, <laughs> sure. But yeah, but it's this obsession. And it's like it's the same thing. It, but it hurts and plagues teams. It's when they get so bought into their identity. And this is what hurt the Flyers for a long time. Is they were so for so long trying to be the Broad Street bullies. That it hurt them for for years upon years, and when they're now that they're finally over the past you know three or four seasons have really distanced themselves and not tried to be the Broad Street bullies, the team has just steadily improved because they've said we don't have to just be this thing that we've always said we were. People, that's said the problem we were. the Bruins have. Exactly, yeah. The Bruins, I mean, they get the mentality whenever they play Montreal of let's fight these guys because that's what Bruins do. So, I mean, we know Bears do in the woods, anyways. Uh, Winnipeg loses Andrew Ladd. Uh, they paid Dustin Bufflin. They paid a bunch of their kids. Nothing really exciting for Winnipeg. Dallas brings in Dan Hughes. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What? Winnipeg. Yeah, what about pa- it? Patrick Line. They drafted, yeah, they, we already covered the draft, bro. No, I know, but I, I, he's going to step into a top six role and, and be of course, pretty, pretty good. He's going to be very good, and he's got the attitude that's going to outgrow Winnipeg so quickly. I'm telling you. I, I, I can't think, wait for them to trade him for nothing. He's going to get his clothes thrown in the shower so fast. It's going to be amazing. Well, I, I think um, I think he makes them good, yeah, honestly. But any time we, we look at the history of, of Kane in uh, Winnipeg, we, we'll now look at all of the issues he's had since he left and be like, oh. right, It's both sides. I mean— one hand washes the other in that situation, I believe. I'm not sure how I would have handled... I mean, Kane was fine in, in Atlanta, was he not? He was there for all of five minutes. Also, mm. no one in Atlanta cared. This is true. They weren't exactly being, you know, followed around. Oh, look, it was the guy with the blue hair. It's probably Kari Lennon. Okay. Hey, go dogs. Yeah, that was kind of standard. No, they, they, whenever they saw Kari <laughs> Lennon, they'd be like, you're limping, are you all right? <laughs> Why are you walking like you just rode a horse, sir? <laughs> No, I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm kind of high on the Jets, actually. 
You think they'd get back to the playoffs? Honestly, yeah, I definitely do. That was a B-plus pun that yeah, Link is <laughs> pantomiming the hell out of. No, I mean, you got Shifley came on last year really well. Then you've you've got a really good core of players. There. I like Pro. I like Nikolai Ehlers is is a great a great up and coming player. They I think they've got a goalie a good goalie in Connor Hellebuck. Yeah, I mean, it, well, assuming they actually let him play, right? Yeah, that that was kind of weird. I I think they were they were there was, a, there was a bit of tanking going on. Bit of tanking there. If the Jets could only beat up on other Canadian teams, they'll make the playoffs. Unfortunately, they are in the central. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, this and Liney is a great player, but I'm not sure how well he'll actually be able to do his thing in the central. Well, what's what's I I think you, you you look at the Jets and then you look at the teams we've been talking about and how a lot of them have gotten either very they've they've stayed steady or they've gotten worse. The Jets have a really good opportunity to make a mark this season because who are they going to who I mean who's who are the top teams right now if we're I mean I don't let me know if I'm getting ahead of myself a here. little bit yeah let me get but, let's get Dallas yeah. out of the way here Dallas brought in Dan Hamhues they're threatening to trade for Ben Bishop but nothing's actually been done which means. Eiserman is probably rejecting what they're doing. Um, they won't take both Niemi and Lettinen. <laughs> yeah, probably. With the, the Lightning, no. Um, Eiserman's the smartest guy in the room. That's not going to work with them. Um, other than that, Dallas is just counting on uh, everybody getting older and everybody getting better. I mean, they do have a pretty young roster, and they've got a couple of guys that, that uh, they're really high on as far as depth forwards. Uh, Radic Fox, uh, defense is – they do have defensive <laughs> prospects. There's still a bit of a glass cannon, but they're working to fix it. They got rid of Goligoski. Now, I, I do know that they needed the cap room. Goligoski was a decent yeah, number, decent yeah. top-pairing defenseman. I mean, he wasn't anything special. I mean, he probably feels like crap after since they made the James Neal trade for him. But I would take Goligoski over Hamies right now. Yeah, I would too. And Arizona, I thought everyone mocked Arizona for trading for rights because people quit doing that a couple of years ago. But um, no, nah, it was a pretty smart move. Dallas, if they're going to do something, this may be a big year for Dallas because they have Hemsky under contract for one more year. They've got uh, Sharp for one more year. RA's a, um, got a no-trade clause anyways. Spetsa's on the hook for three more years. Uh, Sagan for three more years. Jamie Benn just got paid. He went from five and a, five and a quarter million to nine and a half million. Pretty big uh, bump there for well, Jamie. Hey, for, for number one, for, for he's one of the top centers in the entire league. And he's yeah. not a center; he's a winger. But oh, uh, wait, wait, who's the center? Sagan? Sagan's the center. Yeah, he's the second best left wing in the NHL. Uh, you know what? He I, he's I think he's in the conversation for the best because I think that he does things on the defensive side. He kills penalties. Jamie Ben does a lot of things that the other prime scoring forwards don't do. Yeah, but Ovechkin. Yeah, Ovechkin, Ovechkin is like historically good. Ovechkin is historically good, but if we're going to have a conversation as far as who's the most well-rounded left winger in the league, I think mm-hmm. that Ben's in the conversation. But yeah, yeah but I, I would rather the best left winger in the league. It's a for one conversation. season, but yeah, for exactly. one season, I would rather have Ovechkin. But for over the next five to ten years, I'll take. Oh, ben. Well, you take the younger player. Yeah, yeah. hands down. Uh, defense, they got Oduya for one more year. Um, Ham Houston, they got him for two years, three and three quarters. Dallas is kind of in this weird status where they do have a young team, but their window to really win for the immediate is in the immediate future, the next one or two years, because they're depending on a lot of older guys. Sharp's thirty four, Spets is thirty three, Alashemsky is not going to get brought back anyways. Um, they went kind of a they went pretty big with Cody Eakin, and uh, they Cody Eakin every now and then will rotate up to the top line. But Dallas, we can't honestly say did they really get better this year? No, not while they're still paying uh, those two goalies ten million dollars. I mean, I, I think it's a. It could be a a marginal to moderate improvement based on the development of their course young players. So, it, but I, I'm leaning more towards the marginal. 
If Johns and Klinger, Klingberg get better, they should be a little bit better. But right now, they're basically, depending on winning every game, like 6-5. They nearly lost to the terrible Minnesota Wild this playoffs. Yeah, that was that was exciting. The was only it? reason why they was beat then? Minnesota was because the terrible Devin Dubnik had a broken finger and let in that really awful goal. That's mm-hmm. the only reason why they beat them. I thought that and, the, and Prince. I thought the whole state of Minnesota was just in a funk right. and they couldn't they couldn't break out of it. But yeah, to go back to your to go back to it. Um as far as the central division goes, Nashville is the only team that got that took a couple steps forward, yeah, did I, they not? I, I I think you know if you're looking at the the top teams in the central, I mean, you have to talk about the Predators, uh the Jets and the Blackhawks are the most most well-rounded teams. Do you, th- uh, you you omitted the stars? I think the stars. I mean, because the stars, we we have questions in defense. Depends on how well Klingberg and Johns improve. There's goaltending is a huge area of concern. I mean, I was I was optimistic going into last season that they'd be okay on in, in goal, but they definitely weren't. Um, I mean, Colorado doesn't know what they're doing any given day. Yeah, I, we didn't even talk about Colorado. Actually, I mean, on my notes, I just have Colorado and an ellipsis. Yeah, point, they have no clue what they're yeah. doing. So I mean I, I think there's there's a very neat cluster and and we talked about who improved and who stayed the same and the Blackhawks took a small step backwards if if any that you know there there you know that's a, a room for pe- teams to move up Dallas could go either way in terms of of moving up or down so I mean it's really interesting it should be a really interesting season especially with with the Jets being able to stake out their own kind of territory one thing to watch with Chicago is I want to see how good Marco Dano is this year. Dano's a guy that uh, was brought over part of the Brandon Saad trade. Hasn't quite lived up to expectations because people in Columbus were so excited about this kid. And uh, hasn't quite carved out a niche in Chicago just yet. What's it, Did is, they trade him to Winnipeg? You know what? They He was part of the Winnipeg trade. He was part of the trade to, to Andrew yes. Lett. So Chicago has... Had literally, this is what happens when you go all in too many years in a row. I mean, they still have the top end of the roster to, to really be competitive and to be kind of a destination club. But, I don't know, they just feel like they're that the regular season is going to be another struggle for them. But once they make it in the playoffs, they'll magically drink some potion and be fine. I don't know, that, that's going to be fascinating to watch. Um, rather big news, uh, Detroit goes after uh, and gets uh, Franz Nielsen and Thomas Vanek, who was bought out by Minnesota. Andrew Ladd goes to Brooklyn to play for the Islanders. Ocposo leaves uh, Long Island to go to Buffalo. You've got Tampa Bay, who... Get, get your quick opinion on this. Eisman doesn't blink. Stamco signs the same contract that we heard rumored at the beginning of the year. Gets Hedman for a similar get a similar dollar amount. And they sign Killorn. They're probably going... The Kucherov may be the one guy who ends up having to leave. Um, they can probably get a good bounty for him. Where are we at as far as Tampa Bay maybe still being the best-run organization in hockey? And would you have signed Stamkos uh, given knowing who else you have to pay? Yes. Yes. I mean, it's Steven Stamkos. I mean, he's going to go out there and he's just going to score buckets of goals. And he wants to be in Tampa. That was what I took out. If he really I mean, wanted to be in Tampa, I think that's, that's something you yeah, I mean, for, I mean, he could have gone somewhere and made 2 $3 million more per year. But... Probably would have taken home less because Florida. Well, the I mean, year. there's also I mean some of the there's also at some point there's some symbolism involved with you know people want the high number and stuff like that. There's some visibility, but I mean there's there's a bit of a discount, and he could have gotten enough to balance out. You know, cause, I mean if you're talking three million dollars more per season, 
you're not losing all three million of that. No, not all the taxes, but and they extended Vasilevsky, correct? Yep, Vasilevsky signed to protect from Bishop trade. That's why. Well, you have to expose one goalie to yeah. uh, the expansion draft, and they're probably going to expose Ben Bishop just yeah. given his cap hit and given how good Vasilevsky is. Mm-hmm. Vasilevsky has been touted by the Russians as the future of goaltending for them. Right. That's a big deal for them. Yeah, and he's one of the handful of Russians who's not banned from international competition, so that's nice. Yeah, and Bishop is a UFA at the end of this year. Okay. Yeah, I, th- I thought Tampa Bay was were huge winners, and they didn't even sign anybody outside outside of uh, Florida. No, so. you, they've got Palat, who's an RFA at the end of this year. Johnson's an RFA. Boyle's gone. Um, they still have. They still I have think some. Carl, is Carl off the books as well? Matt Carl is he? I think he's off the books now. Matt Carl is off the books now, which is um, which is. You know, he's a serviceable defenseman, but not for what he was getting paid. No. I mean, uh, he's like a million-dollar defenseman at this point. The interesting part about them with the expansion draft is that you have Coburn, uh, Hedman, Strawman, and Garrison all have some type of no-trade or, or NMC. And it means they're probably going to have to expose either Johnson, Palat, or on the low end, like a JT Brown to uh, the expansion draft. Killorn's got, got a no-trade. Valtteri Philpola may be a guy they may look to buy out because – Otherwise, they'll have to expose either Johnson or Palat to the expansion draft. But yeah, a lot of those guys—they're good players, but they're not so irreplaceable. Over Ty- the Tyler Johnson's a damn good player. I'm not arguing that he's not, but I mean, there's gonna be there's gonna be pain involved in oh, this yeah. expansion draft. Every team is gonna feel pain, except for the Wild because they're trash. Every team is gonna feel pain, and you're gonna lose a player that you don't want to lose. So it's like you just you, you want to minimize that pain. So you may you may lose a guy like Johnson, but you know what? It's gonna hurt anyway. Speaking of pain, um, with a heavy heart, I have to announce that uh, Dustin Brown was stripped of the captaincy by the L.A. Kings. Only you care about this, Dan. Yeah. I mean, I care because that means the Kings continue to be a tire fire of an organization. So that's pretty hilarious. I, I, Brown is. I mean, I think there's better choices for captain. It, it's the point. Yes, there are better choices for captain. Uh, they bring in Teddy Purcell. The Kings really didn't get better. They lost uh, Milan Lucic. The Sharks went out and they signed Mikhail Botker, bring him in for a few years. Um, means they get a little bit faster. Um, the Ducks really didn't do anything major. They traded Freddie Anderson, bring in Jonathan Bernier. That's a lateral move at best, probably a bit of a step down. Florida lands James Reimer. They pay a bunch of, bunch of kids to stay there, and they bring in Keith Yandel. Um, Florida's going to be better this year. There's not a whole lot of teams though that we can look, we can turn around and say they're going to be demonstratively better. I mean, the Flames and the Oilers are going to be better. Uh, the Leafs are the Leafs. They're going to get better by just getting older. The Bruins, no one knows really what they're doing. Uh, they bring in David Backus, which who's they've already got their number one and two centers locked up anyway. So what's Backus going to do there? Be their number three or be a winger? Doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. The Flyers signed a favorite of the show, Radko Gudis, to an extension. They bring in Dale Weiss. Um, Link, uh, how does this make the Philadelphia Flyers a contender for the division and or Stanley Cup? Well, Dan, I'd love to break it down for you. Uh, but no, not, 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 there's nothing really to talk. I mean, it's like Gudis is, when, he, when he's not doing something stupid, is a very fine bottom-pairing defenseman. And Weiss got some cute jerseys for his kids, I think. They, they put that up on Twitter. That's fun. Dutch Gretzky. <laughs> um, we touched on it. Expansion's coming. Vegas is announced as the official destination. Uh, they're probably going to look to add another team before too long because that's what pro sports leagues do. But 
Nashville's likely going to go the eight skater route and only protect the the only person they have to protect is uh, Pecorine as far as goalies go, and uh, they have to protect James Neal because James Neal does have a no trade clause. Um, as far as protected list, the letter of the law says that clubs will have two options for players they wish to protect in the expansion draft. These are seven forwards, three defensemen, and one goaltender, or eight skaters and one goaltender. The asterisks are is that uh, players that currently have infective and continuing no-movement clauses at the time of the expansion draft and uh, those who decline to waive such clauses must be protected and will count towards their club's applicable protection limits. All first- and second-year professionals, as well as unsigned draft choices, will be exempt from a selection and will not be counted towards their club's applicable protection limits. So this means Nashville's probably going to go eight skaters and protect Pecorini because they have to. So that means that um, they're going to protect Johansson, Philip Forsberg, James Neal, and Craig Smith. Mm-hmm. No, that's 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 my four that I'd pick. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's that's what you got to do. Um, unless unless you've got some big revelation this year, I don't know who. It, I, I think. Will anyone? If any rookies play this season, will they qualify under the rules? Well, I wasn't thinking rookies. I was thinking if if Colin Wilson finally does it. Do they protect him over Craig Smith? No. I mean, Craig Smith is like guaranteed 20 goals, 40, 50 points. I mean, that's not a guy you tr- you let go lightly. Colin Wilson goes out and scores 30 goals this year. What then, if that happens? Just saying like that's that. the only scenario I, mean, I see that the four. If he scores 30, four. they need to move him at the deadline. That's a good That's a good point, yeah. Uh, the uh, Callie Yarncrook maybe is one guy that you may look at if uh, – there's part of me that says you have James Neal's um, – you have James Neal's contract. He's got one more year left in this deal. I don't think the expansion team will be that willing to bring on a guy with one year left on his deal. I don't know. I mean, I wonder if they would expose Neal and just say, hey, don't pick Neal. If you pick Neal, we'll give you a six-round pick. Or if you, if you don't pick Neal, we'll give you a six-round pick. And protect uh, Yarncroak or protect Wilson. Probably Yarncroak because the organization loves that kid. Yeah. Um, I could see that. But mostly, I mean, I think Nashville is pretty predictable about what they're going to do. And they're not obligated to do so because, you know, like they don't have a ton of uh, no movement clauses, no trade clauses. Thankfully, they got out of those all of this year. So um, we got quite a few of uh, user questions. We're going to run through those real quick. Uh, let's start with the comments section as well. Comment section came pretty strong today, too. Um, Use the monster writes in uh, who should the predators try to add? Should it be a trade or free agent still out there? Or should they roll what they have? And uh, let's see, just standard hope Ribeiro plays well, baby Fiala, Milwaukee. I think if you get out of Ribeiro's deal, you think you'd do it um, just because you want consistency. Um, plus it opens up the spot. You can move Yarncrook over to center and see what he can do. If not expose him to the draft. Um, is there anything else that you see this team trying to do as far as bolstering the roster? Or do you think this is pretty well set as is? Poyle's gonna look for his deals. I mean, he's gonna he's gonna find some guy who's desperate to to make his mark again or reestablish himself and sign him to a contract. I mean, that's hasn't been successful, but I think Poyle seems to be enjoying himself, um, which is fun. If he can sign like Sam Gagne for league minimum, that would be great. Other than that, I think he's probably gonna ride or die with what he has right now. No, I, I think for a guy like Sam Gagne, you might pay a little bit more. So instead of mm-hmm. that $1 million contract, you might have to get like $2 million to pull him in. But I think it's still fine. For a guy like Gagne, um, I, I think he, you know, that could, that could, he, he could do much, much better things than, than the 16 points he had for Philadelphia last year. Yeah. I, I mentioned it earlier. I think David Poyle doesn't have any comfort food laying around, and he's just going to stand pat with what he's got. There's, there's no $1 million players out there he can just sign to a, to a one-year tryout 
deal. I, I don't think he's going to go after a Yuri Hoodler or a Tangay or a Sam Gagne even. Tangay be a guy I'd like, actually. Yeah, I, I, I think, think so a Tangay too. for really cheap. I mean, he's a solid guy you can put on the top line. You can you can keep uh, Wilson and uh, Fisher together, and they play, they play very well together. So... Uh, Nash Native writes in, how many points does uh, Subban need to record this season to be considered a success in year one? Um, I mean, 50 to 60. That thing, I don't think that's unreasonable for a defenseman of his caliber. Yeah, 14, 15 goals. Yeah. Yeah, no disagreement there. Uh, I am Pavel, one of our friends who actually writes over here from Russia. Uh, I am Pavel. Yeah. Wait. That's his name. This is the Pavel? This is Pavel. Okay. Uh, what are the chances we see Kamenev playing for the Preds this season, assuming there's no major injuries? Do you think he will have a shot with a big team? And I say, why not? I mean, if the if the if the organization really likes this kid, I mean, we know he could play both wing and center. Um, he has a different skill set than a lot of the other guys have, which are smaller guys. If I some of it, I think, does depend on what they decide to do with Mike Ribeiro. If they have if they go to training camp and Ribeiro plays like he did in last spring. Get rid of him. Honestly, just just get rid of the guy. I don't care what for. Um, and that's not that's not even getting into like the personal side of it. Unless I'm looking at just strictly from a hockey side. If he brings what he brought in last spring, where he, you know he was just sucking the life out of the second line, get rid of the guy. I mean, Mike Fisher's a lot of things. He'll at least skate. He'll at least work on the ice. He at least will do enough to draw attention. And when no one else will charge the net for the for the dirty rebound goals, Mike Fisher will. He freaking did it. So, I, I'm, why not? Uh, Kamenev is, is the exact opposite of that as far as we know. Now, they're going to take some feeling out to it. Maybe he plays in the fourth line to start. Whatever. Uh, get him bloody. Get him ready. Um, any objections? Or what do you see Kamenev doing this year? Is he going to be in Milwaukee for the bulk of the year, or do you see him getting a shot at some point? I don't see him starting out out of camp in Nashville, but I do see him getting a call up uh, maybe in December or something. And depending on how he performs, maybe getting a stay on the third line. I'm not sure about, like I said, I don't think he'll be starting out on the third line at the beginning of the season, but I think he's ready if they want to like bring him up, let him shadow Mike Fisher, maybe for a few games, give him a bit more than a cup of coffee. He'd have to really impress in the in the in trials to get a start on that third line. And I think that is where he starts out originally uh, when he first comes up because he's not a fourth line guy. Link? No, I think this is. I think you guys covered it pretty exhaustively. Um. Brandon Felder writes in: uh, What is the best option at left wing uh, top line to make Johansson shoot more? I don't know if there's a. He's not a like a. Johansson's not a shoot first guy. He's not. He's a big playmaking center. He models his game after Joe Thornton. The one knock that I have on the Predators roster is there's not really a left-handed guy who plays on the left side that shoots all the time. That's how Nick Foligno made a lot of money and scored a lot of goals next to Ryan Johansson. The one guy that fits the MO, left winger who, who shoots on the left side, is Colin Wilson, and he doesn't shoot enough. So maybe you put him with Johansson and load up the wagon and, and tell Colin, you need to shoot or we're going to expose you to Vegas. Maybe that motivates him. I don't know. James Neal plays on his offside. So if you move James Neal back to the left side of the ice, perhaps that opens it up, opens him up a bit more. There's a lot of ways you can go with this. Yeah, it's gonna. One of the things that I think is gonna get heavy coverage uh, during training camp is who's playing on Johansson's wing. Uh, because I I, I I thought about this question because I saw that one come through earlier when I was just I was just scrolling through Twitter and, and I was like I I don't know I mean do, do you keep throwing Yarncroke over there do you do you just keep throwing Wilson over there I mean how do you make that work when you don't really have 
a really like a dedicated left wing for that that line i mean do you want to put craig smith up there you could i mean you'd have to move neil back over to the other side yeah it just it it's uh i thought there are worse ideas the only trouble is that uh you know, Philip Forsberg, I believe, needs another option on his line to open up the space for him. I agree. I agree. That's I mean, kind of a struggle, struggle that you're going to have there. Yeah, I mean, does Kevin Fiala, he's, le- he's left wing. Yeah. But, I mean, maybe Kevin Fiala has, like, his revelation and, and is able to, to not just score one goal and then disappear like his last couple of call-ups have gone. Kamenev is a lefty. I really, I this, and this is that's asking a whole biased. lot for. <laughs> I I so badly want the Predators just to, to take centers they draft and just try and develop a strong center because they took a bunch of centers and turned them into wingers and now they have no centers. Right. And they did it because out of out of need mm-hmm. and kind of having to play certain guys at center. Like, well, now Colin Wilson and Craig Smith, you guys are left wingers. I think that worked really well for Smith. I think it, I think it really hurt Wilson. Um, forcing him into a wing role from from a center role, so I just I'd like to see guys at Common Evans get to be the be the centers that they want and have always been. Now, if the question was, you know, who can make uh, Johansson shoot more? I mean, Fiala, he's a left wing, he's a passer, and as opposed to you know mainly a shooter. So maybe that's an option if he's ready. I'm not really sure if he's mentally ready for the NHL or not. But he didn't get a whole lot of looks last year. He was up for maybe two games. Yeah, you just, I mean, we can just, just load the team with Swiss players and just see what happens. I mean, that three is a big number for Swiss players. That's a huge number. I mean, it's basically the Swiss national team. <laughs> I mean, if it means that our, our friends from the Swiss press come back over here to cover the team, great. I mean, that's more excuses for me to hang out and get drunk with Andrea Vosti or something. I mean, we're already getting Swiss tour groups, so maybe that'll be some more of them. The radio station in Montreal, when I kind of cut in with this, that uh, I was on a couple of times, they're giving away a package for uh, Montreal listeners to get a flight down to Nashville to get tickets to Predators game, to stay at the Omni Hotel. I hooked them up with uh, Todd, the guy who does the marketing for them, and get a guided tour around downtown Nashville from one Dan Bradley. That's exciting. I'm gonna I'm gonna lead some francophones around. Are you gonna like rent a tractor and haul them around in a? I should do that. I mean, okay, which one of you guys is gonna be the bachelorette? Just need one volunteer. You guys will have to have matching shirts, by the way. <laughs> uh, let's see. Richard Lawson writes in. This will be really quick. Um, who finishes the year as the top four centers? Wait, is it top four centers? Who? Yeah, who finishes the year as the? Uh, let's say one, two, three, four centers. So hmm. Joe Ensign. I'm going to go Fisher. I'm going to go Yarncroak and Sissons. Finishes the year. Yeah. I think that's a good safe answer. I think that's like... Yeah. I'm, I would do the same, except I would put Common Ed instead of Sissons. That's the answer with a little bit of sprinkles on top. Yeah. I would say Johansson, Fisher, Common Ed, and Sissons. Oh. There we go. Sprinkles, but those are like... Those are the... Those Rainbow are like sprinkles. Different colored sprinkles. Those are chocolate sprinkles. Yeah, exactly. I think we've got all the all the permutations we we could actually expect. I I don't. I think all of those are possibilities. I think I I, I like Alex's the best. I like hers the best. Um, I I think I want to balance my enthusiasm with realism, I'm and I just like my dreams. Like I I just I I don't want to see my dreams not achieved. Seeing a third line with Kamenev, Yarncroak, and Fiala would be a lot of fun. I feel like that that line is like mo- most likely to to spend the entire night at the bar after the game. Hell yes. It'd be gorgeous, too. Some very handsome men with beautiful hair. Speaking of hair, we have not, we have not, shown our, we have not shared our thoughts about Mike Fisher's new haircut 
over the summer. I mean, I, I, put, I was my mind was I, I put was it out there shocked. that I think that this draws more attention to his jawline, which I think has been the most underrated part of Mike Fisher's physique. But which his, is which is weird because I think that's his <laughs> most outstanding feature. His most outstanding feature. But when as soon as you see Mike Fisher, you think, wow, he's got some '90s ass. Hair. I don't know. I think jawline first. I think yeah, eyes. Jawline. I, his eyes. His eyes are very soft and very just like you know. <laughs> Looking straight into the camera, kind of eyes. That's what I think of. It's, ama- it's amazing that he that he is such a such a. In, he has that kind of piercing blue eye. He he actually he managed to come out of Ottawa, and still is alive, which is amazing because Ottawa just produces sadness, um, at a discount and nice price range, but sadness still. Thanks Brexit. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Catherine writes in, are we going to add any forward depth? The answer is probably not at this point. Um, Harry Cadmus writes in, who are we? Who, blah, blah, who do you think we're going to be playing against in the finals? Follow up, who will Captain Fisher hand the cup to first? Let's focus on this. Uh, we haven't even touched on it because people at this table, we typically don't don't view the captaincy as a huge issue just because it's, it's old-time hockey stuff. But the people in the room do care. People who buy jerseys care. Who would you endorse for captain of the team? I, I would go with Mike Fisher. It's a safe pick. Uh, it, it depends on what you want. If if you want to have a captain who's going to define the Nashville Predators culture and be a voice for years to come, you don't pick Mike Fisher because he's going to have – this might be his last season. Also, he doesn't need it. Yeah, I mean, that's that. that would be a temporary captaincy. And you would know that going in. That would be saying, we know, we, we want you to be captain, but someone else is going to be captain in a few years, and that's, we all know that. Um, I think the team's more interested in building an internal culture, so I think they would go with someone who's going to be with the team for a while. I don't know. I mean, I, I think my wild card pick is my wild card pick for captain is, is oddly enough, Ryan Ellis. Ooh, I was going to go James Neal. That's a wild card pick. That's 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 a little bit beyond that. That's a wild card, and like Charlie from from Always Sunny is a wild card. Not like what I'm, I'm thinking. <laughs> like, the break line kind of wild card. I, huh? I'm thinking a little bit more like oh, aces are, are wild type, like wild card, not cut break line wild card. Yeah, yeah. Here's, here's why I say that the playoff series against Chicago uh, a couple years ago, he was the guy that when Weber got hurt was facing the bulk of the media, and he's the guy that said, you know, we got to go out and get get X done, got to get Y done. And he's the guy that scored like the like the ultimate effort goals during that playoff season, the playoff series. And he's the guy that scored the ultimate playoff effort goal against uh, Anaheim to start the start the year off, with the exception of Mike Fisher's goal in the um, against San Jose. I, don't, I think that James Neal has the uh, has the mouth for it. I'm I'm not sure that the whole locker room politics thing that followed him from Pittsburgh. Uh, that's the one thing I'd like to find out a little bit more about. But honestly, I don't really care that much about that kind of stuff narratives um, dan narratives. narratives are undefeated it's hockey media you remember know? we 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 as as people who cover the team know more about the culture of that locker room than anybody else absolutely that one vice article that we sent out last week that was the worst thing i've ever read Jeez, um, that was pretty bad i can think of more not people that i, I would not select for pre- captaincy than i, I would roman yossi I think Yossi's the obvious pick. Yeah, that's when when like when Weber's only racing. I think we all know who's going to be. It's like it, it's like yeah, it's like we're on Yossi. I mean, that's I think it's kind of cool. I mean, the Predators have had a European captain before with Kimo Timonen. Um, it's not breaking new ground there. Yossi can speak five different languages. We so can communicate with everybody in the locker room. Hey, all those Italian speakers and um, 
I mean, let's also, he's the guy. Does who, he speak Italian? Yeah, he speaks Italian. Okay. Just, the, actually, the, the interview I did, I played on the show a couple years uh, last year was actually transcribed oh, in Italian. Right. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I think Yossi's kind of the safe pick. Neil would just be fun, just because it would piss everybody off. It, Neil, Neil, for you picking Neil is, is like if on the opening game of the season, the Predators are on the warm-ups, and all of a sudden there's like some player comes crashing through the ceiling, and oh my god, it's Dustin Brown wearing a Predators jersey with a C on it. That's like you with James Neal. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm good now. You just, you, just, you just want like the biggest jerk to be the captain, and that's fine. Yeah. I think that I mean hockey's about having fun and that would be fun. Cuz no one is going to love fun. this team but us. All right? That's the reality of it. We're on national TV next year for two freaking games. We have the most entertaining locker room in the entire NHL and we're on for two games. I've accepted my reality. No one outside of Nashville is going to love this team but us. So we might as well be the most ungrateful, ugly sons of bitches on the ice oh, possible. We're your buddy Adam in Canada. Yeah, Adam's pretty cool. But for the most part, no one, no one outside of no one that's not a Predators fan is going to follow this team anyways. So why not just go outside with a big old Swiss. drum and just beat the crap out of it and draw attention? We got PK Subban, we got Ryan Johansson, we got Philip Forsberg. Those are three of the most entertaining personalities possible. And then you have James Neal, who's just you know the, the devil. I love it. So any of them off soapbox there. He's devil's food cake, I would say. Oh yeah, it's delicious. That that is the creepiest expression I've ever seen that's Dan's face delicious. in all the years you're doing the show, and we've talked about Dustin Brown a lot in this show, and that's oh, yeah. the creepiest face I've ever seen. Um, so uh, let's see. Final questions here. Condronk um, writes in. It's a good name. Uh, <laughs> should expectations be this high with such little forward depth? Are we being too optimistic about Colin Wilson, Kelly Yarncroke, etc.? This isn't a contract year for Wilson, but Wilson does that every other year thing. He does. He's um, an every other year type player. I, I'm, I think we are a bit optimistic just based on the fact that now this team has a top-line center. Philip Forsberg's going to get another year better. Uh, Johansson's going to get another year better. Craig Smith is pretty close to his ceiling right now, and he's still pretty good. Colin Wilson, we have no idea. And there's got to be a little bit of desperation, I believe, with Mike Fisher, who knows that the sand is almost out of the top part of the hourglass. The defense is going to skate a little bit better. The defense can all play the same style of hockey with all three pairs if they wanted to. And I have a hard time buying that Pecorine is going to be that bad again. Yeah. So that's my reasons for being optimist, yeah, optimistic I, about it. If the team performs uh, at, a, at a slight improvement or equal improvement to, to their performance from last year, the skaters, and goaltending is at or slightly above league average... You know, they're they're it's definitely a good playoff team. No doubt in my mind, definitely a playoff team. Depending on how the rest of the central shakes out, maybe even uh, you know, in, in one of the top couple places. I, I think that's I, I think we can be very comfortable there. I, I think, you know, you, there's issues for complacency around the Jets, around the stars still. Um, but yeah, I, I think there's a lot of bright things to look forward to. There's some young forwards coming up. There there's no concern about defense, so I yeah, it's just kind of, it's going to be, we're kind of a little bit coasting into the year, a little comfortably coasting into, into this season as far as the roster goes. I think our lack of forward depth is a little overstated. I don't really, I mean, we have at least two good scoring lines, uh, sort of a third line wild card and our fourth line. And it's not 
the tire fire it was last year. We will have some good young players who can, you know, get the job done and move the puck up the ice. Like I said, I think it's a bit overstated. Um, we have we have the players, we have the horses to do it. As long as we can get Liga Garbage goaltending, we should be fine. We might even be contending for a banner. I'm so I'm worried about the the goaltending situation. Uh, I mean, I, there there has to be a light bulb somewhere going off in that in that front office that says, or in the coaching staff office that says, stop playing Pecorine for 65 games when he's this old. He played the fourth most games and he was the worst starting goaltender in the league. Alex, yes, Alex, that light that light bulb, yeah, that light bulb is going off and it's shining on you on you on Soros. I. <laughs> It's shining on his on his glorious bear-like face. Do we know that that's going to happen? I I know in the hearts of my hearts. There's so many okay. hearts filled in my hearts. Wait, is is he now? Is is Link now turning positive? No, I'm just I'm just like I'm all in the sorrows train. Okay, all right. Link is literally little bear dragging a a newborn child in the middle of the lake and waiting for the village to pick it up. I am. Okay. He's referencing my my uh, I I wouldn't say article from last year. Uh, um, I don't know what you call that. Folktale. Folktale. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Folktale. I'm I'm I guess what I'm saying is I'm optimistic. I just I'm optimistic about most of the team. Um, if they realize that Pecorino cannot play more than 50 games, if they if they're okay with that, 45 maybe maybe just a, maybe it's a 50 50 shot or 50 50 balance. Even if if Saros can can handle that and and Maz, but that's the that's the weakness. Yeah, I, I, my my biggest concern is is very similar related to Peck. Like he, at some point this year, his hip is going to be like the 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 closing sequence from Akira, and it's just going to be horrifying. Wait, Shakira? Akira, the final sequence from Akira. I don't know. That's yeah. fine. Pete, the listeners will 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 will, will be fine listeners. You're applying that more than one, right? <laughs> yes. Wow. Right. I know at least three people who listen to the show. Our so. listener. <laughs> I know at least three Dozen people personally. <laughs> uh, last one. Matt Hardesty writes in, is the plan to hold on player movement due to expansion draft, or does Portland Company feel like we have enough? I think somewhere in between. I don't feel like they want to lose Craig Smith and due to bring in some other free agent. I don't feel like that they want to... I don't know. I, I don't think they can go out and buy a player that they know for sure is going to be better than Craig Smith in this current system. So... Uh, it, they may go out to the Nick to the uh, the dollar store bin and bring in someone, but I don't really. I mean, we're. I don't know, yeah, and the, the only 20. guys you're going to come in are, are going to be padding. You know, it's going to be the the, the Derek Yokinins and the Roy's and the God, who's the other guy I forgot from last year? Cody Hodgson. Hodgson. There you oh, go. Wow. Hodgson. Man, we really um, quit talking about him in like January. Hodgson, <laughs> uh, because he was. I mean, he was as effective as Jokinen, but less entertaining in the process. Jokin at least would. I mean, he at least Jokin was the most unlucky guy in the entire NHL that year. He tried so hard. He had so many close calls. It was never about lack of effort with Jokin. Well, yeah, Jokinen. Hodgson was just sort of invisible. He was good in Milwaukee. Hodgson. He was adequate. <laughs> I, I've never known of a of a NHL player to completely flame out. Uh, this guy was a torchbearer for the Olympics in 2010. Who is this? Cody Hodgson. Oh. Cody Hodgson's career was uh, literally burned out. He's a First first rounder with Vancouver, correct? Yeah, and was supposed to be just a so- solid top six forward for. Uh, yeah, he came forever. in for Vancouver and he had thirty three points in sixty three games. Uh, goes to Buffalo. Buffalo, he had twenty goal season at one point, and uh, just the next year six goals. Nashville three goals. 
He's 26 years old. Scored three goals for Nashville. That's that's actually the most surprising number I've heard today. <laughs> Don't forget just five assists either. <laughs> he was less effective than Sam Gagne. Oof. All right. Um, got a bit of website news here. Uh, we brought in quite a few people. We got a few more projects. We said we'd talk a little bit more about when we knew more about them. Um, Link is uh, spearheading an entire project. Um, I'm he is working with Bobby Mizey on uh, doing more of a video project. And uh, with since I moved into my new place, um, I've actually, uh, I haven't told you about this yet. So this is kind of a surprise for everybody. Um, yeah, I moved in the hood. Uh, I got tired of paying, you know, 1100 bucks a month for a place that has centipedes and bugs and such. Bellevue. Um, but I'm actually building my own little video area in my house too so i can help join you guys in that project but uh, we're going to be start doing a bit more content on youtube we got more content on video coming out your way as well we added on quite a few people and uh, a lot of them want to do things far greater than uh, writing for our site at some point so uh, i think it's uh, wise of us to give them the legs to uh, to try to achieve that um, some people want to work for the organization some people want to work for fox sports and um, i feel like as part of our mission of the site that we should uh, focus on that and to um, give younger people a chance to uh, to uh, pretty much the chance I won't say the chance I didn't have, but uh, but uh, but a chance to really to get serious about this. I really like the direction of the site uh, is going with uh, with Bryant. I like where it's going with Mark, um, and uh, I like uh, I like the direction that Alex and uh, Mario are going to take it as well. And um, I feel like for the first time, I feel comfortable enough to where I don't have to I don't need to be involved with the day to day operations of it with so much. So. As of August 15th, I am uh, stepping into a role called senior editor, where essentially I'm just going to be more involved with the uh, kind of more directing traffic as far as uh, making sure the operations are are taken care of and all the chores are being done and less and less of the daily stuff. Uh, Alex is going to be taking on uh, more responsibility with that as well. Um, Maria is going to be uh, having me overseeing a bit more of the editorial project as well. So if it does things don't meet her standards, doesn't go out the door. Um, a higher standard of clickbait, as we say. <laughs> you should definitely make a shirt out of that at some point. <clears throat> I should probably um, copyright it. Copyright it so the pro shop doesn't start making it. I think Taylor Swift has already copyrighted that phrase. Probably so. Um, so that's a few changes that are going on around the around here. I'm not leaving by any means uh, just because I frankly enjoy it too much and I need a place to rant. And um, yeah, that's that's kind of like our, our kind of some of the furniture we're moving around. Um, SB Nation purchased or Vox Media purchased the rights to Yahoo Sports Radio, so you're going to start seeing SB Nation Sports Radio before too long. How that affects this show? To quote the national editor, he said, "Not in a negative way," and that's the only real news I have on that front. So it's possible you may hear us doing stuff on national radio at some point. I don't know. I, I don't have an answer for that just yet, but uh, it's exciting. Um, Vox is continuing to invest in the SB Nation platform, and uh, we have a new um, a new uh, editor we're working with. We have a new uh, layout of the site that's going to be coming around that some people may already see. Uh, give Vox Media their feedback on that because they do pay attention to uh, reader comments on this, probably more so than we do. Um, <laughs> with that in mind, <laughs> um, uh, we're going to get into five tough questions before we wrap up the show. You excited? This is your first time doing the whole five tough question bit, so yeah. Remember, when when the question isn't tough enough, make fun of Dan. He enjoys it. Well, no, I will be keeping count because it's five in quotation marks. No, tough there's, only, there's <laughs> only five. It's only five because the last one's going to be a nice uh, tearjerker. So, got to end on that one. Um, number one, the Predators' top four defensemen right now: Roman Yossi, PK Subban, 
Matthias Ekholm, Ryan Ellis. The question for all of you is, would you keep Ellis and Ekholm together or put Yossi with Ellis, Ekholm with Subban, to allow both Subban and Yossi to be themselves and the other two to kind of be more of the uh, cycle specialist? Who wants to start? I mean, I, I don't see any reason why you'd break them up. I mean, it's they're a great duo. Um, they do okay when they're apart, but they are better together. Uh, I mean, every time they were that, that last season, Laviolette was dealing with Granberg and Potato at the same time. They'd have to start breaking up Ellis and Ekholm. And granted, I mean, you have some decline because Potato and, and Granberg aren't to the same standard. Um, but any rotation like that, even when you had like an Ellis, um, you know, Jackman type thing or something like that. You just put them back together, and there's this there's this chemistry. And when it comes to the NHL, and it comes to, to how brief preseason is going to be, given the World Cup of crap that's coming up, you're going to want to hold on to that chemistry. Um, and I, I, you know, I just I so and there's there's a bit of bias here because I so want to see Yossi and Subban just tear it up because I really think they can just destroy the NHL and do a lot to to establish kind of how the future of defense can be played in the next you know decade of the NHL. Real quick before the next answer, we've done we've done over a two hour show and we have not mentioned one word about the World Cup of hockey. Let's just show my care level for it. I just no. don't yeah. Alright, carry on. Uh, I think it'll take us about one shift to notice how awesome the Yossi Suban pairing is. Maybe even half of the first shift. The thirty first, seconds. The first thirty seconds and then the answer to this question, Dan, will be no. We keep them both together. Keep Subit Suban with Yossi, Ellis with Ekholm. We don't change anything else. Yeah, we go ahead with the Subban and Yossi to start with, and Ekholm together. We know what they bring us. So, I mean, give them a couple shifts. If they aren't magic together, split them apart and see what the other two could do together. But I think going Yossi-Subban just sort of works for the first shot at least. All right, number two. Um, is the following statement uh, accurate? 2016-2017 season will determine the legacy of Pecorine. Definitely. Dan's changed we'll the rotations on us. The legacy of Pecorine. No, it will not. Uh, you know, I think if he has so many different variables here, because if he just has another bad year like last year, then I think definitely, because that's going to be like he he when he was get when he hit that age point, he just crashed. If it turns out to be injury, then it's going to be about injury, and that's going to be the legacy. Is he? He, you know, came in and was amazing, and then he had injury. There, there are think, three different outcomes, and two of them are not good because one's injury, injury narrative. One's just that he crashed, and then there's the redemption. You know, he had a blip year, and then he came back and stormed with the NHL, and, and then he'll build off of that. So it, it's really tough to say what's going to happen. Um, the thing I worry about most with Pekka is 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 his hips. I'm just really nervous about how they're going to hold up over the course of a season. Number three, HockeyNews.com published a uh, ranking of fan confidence in the front office for each franchise. I don't know if you guys saw this or not. Uh, lowest, I believe, was Vancouver, which, you know, that's just great. Um, number one was uh, Tampa Bay. Number two was Florida. Number three was Nashville. So Nashville was the uh, voted number three in their rankings for uh, fan confidence in the front office. Just curious. Do you feel that ranking is warranted? I think so. Yeah, I, I, especially after this particular offseason. Yeah. Yeah, Poyle does some stuff that I don't necessarily always agree with, but I am very confident in his ability to build a team. Yeah. 
second I popped open that rating, I, I figured Nash was going to be high on the list. I do think it's interesting that some of the, the most uh, uh, sunny, warm climates had the highest confidence. I think there's a little <laughs> little biochemistry I've going on there. I've always said that as a native Southerner, I think Southern people, for the most part, have lower expectations of their heroes. And that's the reason why... Uh, that's the reason why comics, you have a lot of uh, combat sports or, or in, uh, and college football, even teams that are like, like, even like teams that are mostly local kids, like you went for the longest time, the Mississippi schools that weren't any damn good, but the stadium would always be full because mm-hmm. as long as we're entertained, you know, we're happy. And I, I do think that there is some truth to that, that the, uh, that the Southern climates uh, at a much higher ranking, even though that none of the three teams that, uh, that are in the top three have won a cup in the last, you know, what, Coming up on 15 years. Yeah, I will say I think the Panthers. The Panthers are so ahead of the list because their fans, like the the people who are fans of the Florida Panthers, are like they're hardcore. They are dedicated people. I can and, say that. Yes, they um, are. Um, and they I think that shows that through. Yeah, and I think that shows through. And and it's and that means it's really nice to see that degree of of belief in their front office, especially because the, you know a couple years ago when the front office said we're going to do things this way, and they've just been like everyone's been like. Oh, the Panthers, they have like all this junk in their roster and then they keep kind of just padding their team with junk. Do you remember the the time they signed like nine free agents on one day? Yeah. And there was just like a Thomas Fleischman and a bunch of other guys and then Nolan Yachtman at the end of the table. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, they they just sort of they've got a plan and their the plan is a little little hard to get into if you're if you're outside the fold, but it's we're starting to see the the fruits of it. And I mean, a few cool. years ago their marketing campaign was the blueprint. This is before they went full red in their uniforms, but um, they owned it that they were going to be going through a massive retooling right when they first signed Dale Talon as to be their be the guy who steers the ship and so far so good. So we're feeling that's all pretty warranted. All right, number 4, barring a major injury. Are the Nashville Predators going to be considered by the media to be the favorites in the Central for the upcoming year? Mm-hmm. No, because they're not Chicago, and Chicago gets the benefit of the doubt even when they're terrible. Um, so, I, I'm assuming we're talking national media. Yes. Yeah. No, they won't. They they'll be they'll be behind either Dallas or Chicago. Yeah, we'll get some nice articles around December about like, oh, hey, this Predators team is really good, and they're the team to watch. They're the underdog. I'm like, okay, schedule you- schedule tweets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, between Nashville and Dallas, I think Nashville might be the best team in the Central, but we're not going to get any sort of credit. That's just like Dan says, nobody's going to love us but us. It's definitely going to be Chicago and maybe Dallas. I think some of that's fair because the team hasn't won anything ever, but at the same time, none of the other teams really got better. Yeah. I mean, you can argue Winnipeg's going to be, Winnipeg got better, um, but that's really about it. Um, number five, out of his, uh, all of his time in Nashville, what was your favorite Shea Weber moment? Oh, wow. Uh, the first time he won the uh, Hardest Shot Contest. That's a good one. The second time he won the Hardest Shot Contest. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, the, the number two <laughs> number two would be the um, when he, I think after one of the uh, earlier TV time outstanding ovations, when he, when they literally got back and everyone's still clapping and he just scored a goal. I was at that game. That was against Chicago. I was there too, yeah. Um, uh, that was against Chicago. It was the year after Chicago won the cup, and yeah. they were they were down two games to none, or two up. They were down two goals to none, and I remember Cody Franzen in the third period shoved a guy in the ice, just getting fed up with it. And at that point, the team was on fire. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember I think it was Gotch who won that face off. But yeah, I mean that was <laughs> give an idea who give an idea where the team was at this time. Marcel Gotch was being Gotch. depended on for offensive zone draws. I like Marcel Gotch. I I, I think it's still a shame to let him go. <laughs> 
I get I, I don't know. I, I there's so many. I, I really will. I, I mentioned it earlier. The game tying goal in Anaheim. What was that game five? Mm-hmm. Um, we're missing one in overtime. That was huge because that essentially helped us win that series. Uh, if they don't tie that that goal, that was a huge goal. It wasn't necessarily a, it wasn't a typical Weber goal either. It was a it was a wrister mm-hmm. uh, the, off the off the face off. I remember that. I will although I don't. I regret this moment for him. I will remember the Zetterberg moment in the in the series. I will remember that and all that came after that. Um, it did send a message, and then uh, you know after that we lost the Coyotes. But. Yeah, I can't really think of any sort of big moments, but this past um, season in the playoffs where he stood Corey Perry up the blue line, it's just sort of how I think of Shea Weber and what he does and what he can get away with. Mm-hmm. He's just an incredible player. Yeah, he was an incredible specimen. Um, I remember the, the Duck series, him murdering uh, people in the corner. That was a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, it, it's hard. It's going to be hard to look past the game five, uh, game tying goal against um, against Anaheim. But there was one glimpse this past year that um, probably my favorite moment from this from from Shea Weber two the Shea Weber that doesn't skate a whole lot, is when you knew he still had it. It was the two one zero breakaway shorthanded against St. Louis. Yossi and Weber charging in. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was the only time we really saw Weber really get on the horse this year as far as speed skating goes. But I also um, remember last year early on, in the, I think it was the Senators, where he did a, a, a wraparound backhand yes. over Craig Anderson. Oh, yeah. That, that was, was nice That was the opening game of the year when you and I were, um, you and I were there for that one. Because Forsberg nearly scored... Like earlier in that, that shift. Which one, which one that was uh, the opening of the... Uh, it was the opening game. Opening game uh, two years ago. Where Leglon won It was Laviolette's first game. Hmm. You and I got... Uh, you and I were uh, in the lower level, like 12 rows off the ice. Hmm. And Leglon went into the wrong penalty box. Yeah. I remember, I think I just hugged you afterwards. It was like, a, oh my God. It's possible. This team, you, know, you know how my memory like is. This, this team is, is going to be fun to watch this year. Yeah, that was that was. Well, a, I, I'm I'm inclined to believe Dan because it's, it's it was a backhand wraparound. I actually made it in one of those espionation memes that said obviously. So you frequently have to be told what you said last week on the podcast. Not what I said, just I, I you know, just oh well, no, that's true. That's why that's why Dan <laughs> takes notes. <laughs> you ever said this? I'm like probably did, oh, probably said that. You talked about Radko Gudis winning the uh, Selkie or something. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be amazing. Oh God. Um, as far as our next show goes, I don't know. Just kind of when news warrants it, uh, we may do. Uh, we may fake being excited about the um, about a, I don't know the World Cup or something. I don't know. It's it's July already. It's about to be August. We may do one. You know, when it gets closer to training camp. But uh, whenever time allows, we'll throw out another episode. But uh, in the meantime, is there anything else you guys want to mention before we close up shop? I feel like there was something, but obviously not. Can't remember. Can't it be that important then? No. No. Right. No. Uh, we went a bit long today, so thank you guys all for that. Um, also, thanks for joining us. Yeah, no problem. Glad to be here. Yeah, we've we've been actually wanting to do this for a few months now. Hopefully, so. I sound like clapping. That was a, well. It helps when there's two people clapping. Four especially. <laughs> so, um, you can follow her on Twitter at. Oh, let me look up your Twitter handle. Jeez, I know it's Maria. While you're doing that, I remember what it was. Okay, jo- Jordan Tutu to the Blackhawks. That happened. Oh that, yeah, that's yeah, that right. Yeah, I've got. Yeah. Oh joy. Just wanted to mention that. Apparently, um, Duncan Keith and Brent Seabrook convinced him to sign and convinced Dan Bowman to sign him. <laughs> what? He's got a lot of friends, a lot more friends yeah, than apparently. I thought he did. Hmm. I don't, in Chicago, I mean, not just generally. I 
don't understand. Like that's that's a w- interesting group of people to go up to bat for right. you to get to, to and then go into the GM to. Yeah. That's we. I would not expect that. I mean, you know that Mike Fisher does that with David Poyle, though. Yeah, you could just have Maria tell like say her Twitter handle. You can find her on Twitter at underscore Maria underscore K. There's actually someone with the handle Maria underscore K, and she's Russian. Are they even active anymore? I don't know. No, been, you know what? I've yeah, account suspended. Yeah, account suspended. Yeah, I'm monitoring that. Uh, you can find Alex on Twitter at AlexNardy1. You can find Link on Twitter at 3D Link. You can follow myself at Dandy Bradley, and you can follow the show at On the Forecheck. Uh, the show will be posted on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Pocket Cast. I think there's one more out there. Be etched on the clouds. If you listen yeah, at night, when it rains, you will hear our voices. All right, everyone have a good summer, and we'll talk to you soon.